0: I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, up and way home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I make a smile November until the
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. And for those of you staying up on Periscope, the iTunes link can be uh, found right up above the uh, the video window. There, you can click that, subscribe, rate us five stars if you would be so kind, and uh, leave a comment as well. Even if you want to make fun of uh, me or any one of us, or, or me, that would be uh, that would be fine as well. Red Sox is
2: another
3: candidate to make fun
1: of. What?
2: Why are you opening opening up the floodgates? Why? <laughs>
1: I mean, what are we talking about here? hasn't even asked us how we're doing yet. I ruled Stephanie out. Footers at least not
2: enough. Footers not enough. We don't. We don't need. We don't need making fun of us in the comments too, Terry.
1: <laughs> Red Sox just wrapped up a three game set against the Cleveland Indians, dropping it two games to one. I'm Terry Cushman, as my co-hosts have already alluded to. Jeremy Schilling, Liz Churchville, both with me tonight. How are you guys?
2: All i right. It'd be better if the Rays can get out of this series of the Blue Jays, but uh, we'll see what happens.
3: Yeah, I mean, Jeremy. thank is God for the, Red, uh, for the Bruins, because... I would be in a bad state of mind right now if it wasn't for them. But I'm just sick and fucking tired of this Red Sox team, so let's talk about them.
1: All right, getting into heroes and zeros right out of the gates. Uh, Jeremy, you're uh, you're hot, so go ahead and uh, lead off with your hero, as difficult as that might be.
3: Um, I actually chose a hero like 42 seconds ago because I just wasn't in the mood to even think positively about how this is happening this team sucks um i tweeted about an hour ago that i just wish they had an inkling of uh said something today about uh they're gonna dress in black and gold tomorrow to honor the bruins and my response was Mm -hmm. i wish they would not dress like them but maybe like be a little bit tougher or a little bit you know just more of you know produce i mean something but no, they're going to try to dress like the team that's playing well. Um, they just suck. It pisses me off. I'm so sick and tired of this. This podcast is is becoming a bitch fest, which I don't want it to be. So, in honor of our hero today that I've chosen, uh, Christian Vasquez, 4 of 8 RBI. He's sitting 301 with an 840 OPS. And just to put him in the place of where the, the Red Sox are, Martinez is, uh, and by the way, I looked it up. Last night, the average uh, OPS in Major League Baseball this year is 740, uh, 724 or 734, something like that. So that that's the average OPS for a Major League player that qualifies. Martinez is 908, uh, Devers is 890, Bogart's 895, and Betts is 884, your next best OPS, which I believe is the best barometer for overall offensive production is Vasquez at 840. He has been uh, very important to this team. Uh, Offensively, for a position that since the steroid era, uh, the height of the steroid era ended, the offensive uh, capabilities of, of, of catchers has been minimized. Well, we're getting some of the best production in Major League Baseball from Christian Vasquez. He's my hero. I don't want to talk about any of the good stuff anymore. Bye.
1: <laughs> and uh, while you were doing that, I pulled up some other stats. Only two catchers have a higher OPS than uh, Vasquez. That would be, yes, Monty Grandal, second overall at 885. And then Wilson Contreras is kind of blowing everyone out of the water at 984. But Vasquez would come in third at the uh, you know, at catcher, which would be above
3: which JT. Terry. Terrence, if I told you that on opening day, you would have you would have suggested that I was using narcotics without telling anybody.
0: I would so it's really
3: been amazing. I mean, he's yeah. he's been awesome and a season where, you know, the good players are performing okay, not great. I mean, you know, JD's having a good year. They're, they're having good years, not great years. But Vasquez, 840 with a 301 average, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to believe, frankly. Yeah, I mean,
1: 2017 was a good year just as far as average and some of the other categories. He was well over 300 for a good part of the year. But this year, more so than any other year in his career, as you outline, the power is there. And I think five home runs was the most he had hit. I uh, I already don't have that page up already. But he he basically reached that at the six-week mark this year. So you know he's one of the best catchers in major league baseball and i can't i i wasn't a vasquez guy and you know i think he's going to be fairly steady throughout the year because like i said he was in 2017 i don't know how it translates from year to year though um but we'll certainly take it right now and he's under contract for at least the next three or four years so you know so i'm not complaining uh, Liz, who is your hero for this series? Uh,
2: before before I get to my hero, I just uh, wanted to touch on something quickly since it's not something I normally do <laughs> quite like you guys do. But uh, I get the frustration, but I feel like Red Sox fans have a lot to be happy about with the team. Uh, but, I mean, there's one major part uh, not to be happy about uh, for the most part. And, uh, I mean, I feel like and when I get to my zero, uh, I decided to go a little non-traditional today with it because I feel like we talk about the bullpen way too much, just like Jeremy was saying. But uh, a lot of guys are hitting really well, and I feel like that's something to be to be happy about. It's just you gotta somehow fix the other part of it. But um, and actually, I've got one more little thing. Sorry. Uh, Leon is not going to be my hero again. He's not a hero, but God damn it, I loved seeing him hit that three-run shot on Monday. That was <laughs> fucking awesome. Anyway, my hero is David Price. Um, he was the starter of the second game. He had he pitched six innings, uh, one walk, with uh, six strikeouts. The main reason why, I mean, his numbers aren't particularly impressive, but the main reason why he's my hero is because he was in a situation that a lot of pitchers don't handle well. Uh, he went out and pitched, like, what? He, when did that rain delay start? Like, in the in the second at some point? I, I didn't catch the very beginning of it, but uh, of the game.
0: Yeah, uh, he pitched, he one, out, pitched
2: inning,
1: one inning, and then the rain delay happened oh, halfway through just, the second. And, oh,
2: just, oh, okay, just, just one inning, okay. So yeah. he went out, pitched, you know, very little, and then sat for, what, 60, 90 minutes, whatever the rain delay was? And, uh, and then came out and killed it, where historically a lot of times, you know, a pitcher's out there, they're hot, they're warm, they're throwing, and then they sit. You know, you even tweeted about it, Terry, you're like, is it worth putting him back out there cold, you know, basically. And uh, he went out there, did his job, did it well, and uh, then, of course, we all know what happened uh, after he left. So that's kind of beside the point, but uh, I felt like, you know, Price was my hero, you know, for that reason. He kept it together when uh, a lot of other good pitchers wouldn't have.
1: He, and he was. And the thing that concerned me the most is it, it was a really cold night, you know, really raw. It wasn't like it was a July night where it was still warm and humid. And, you know, so I just, with the cold temperatures, the fact that he dealt with some tendonitis, uh, I was a little concerned. But, like you said, he came back and pitched very well. I, he didn't give up a run, I don't think. And... You know, you, you, it was really encouraging to see, and yeah, that was an hour and ten-minute rain delay as well. So, um, not not the most ideal conditions to uh, start, you know, when it when it's your time through. Jeremy, any
3: thoughts yeah. on price? Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing that I would just stack on top of what you guys have said is that he pitched three days before this. And we were all concerned because he left with, you know, what was being deemed as flu-like symptoms. And we were all very skeptical about it on Sunday night. It looks like uh, our skepticism, which I believe is well earned, was wrong, which is fine. Um, he was healthy. He is healthy, and he pitched awesome. And I give him all the credit in the world for the reasons you guys have stated, and the fact that he, you know, was sick three days prior and threw fifteen innings in a real game. And a lot of people could use have used that as an excuse. Then you stack in the rain delay. And David Price of two years ago would have given up a touchdown. But he didn't. He was awesome. Three hits, one walk, six strikeouts, lowered to ZR rate of 2.83. It's been awesome. I got nothing negative to say about David Price. I'm, um, um, I'm impressed by David Price. There's no question about it. He's come back from um, a pretty bad uh, stigma. Um, and I always say, that I always use his line from after the World Series that he holds all the cards now, but not only does he holds hold the cards, but he keeps flipping pocket aces, and he's been great. He's been he's been out of the entire pitching staff rotation bullpen, young guys that have been called up. Whatever, he's been the lone and brightest star that's in that spot. So, I, I can't criticize David Price. I won't criti- criticize David Price. I'm impressed by David Price. I took
1: a jab at him earlier, but I won't talk about it on here. Um Well you can't you can't
3: help yourself. I,
1: well I'll just say he wrote a letter, which was good to um Zach Pleaseak congratulating him on his start and it was a handwritten letter that he wrote in the clubhouse and then apparently it was delivered to him. And uh I was like, Well, you know, Dennis Eckersley didn't get a letter you know, but that's neither here nor there.
3: Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I take it back. But Whatever the tweet was, if that's if it was based on the X thing, I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, my
1: hero won't spend a ton of time on it. Um, Sandy Leone hit a uh, three run home run, which kind of basically gave the Red Sox the buffer zone they needed in the first game, which was the Porcello game. Uh, they went on to win, like I think it was like twelve to five. We'll get into that a little bit more, but uh, it was kind of nice to see him just utterly mash one. And he doesn't bring a ton offensively, and I, I don't really expect that to happen going forward. But um, Liz kind of stole my thunder, by the way, with all this. But what the one thing I oh, will—it's okay. You, I didn't tell you I was picking him. Um, the one thing I will reiterate here is. We've underlined all the things that Christian Vasquez is doing great. And, you know, Leon comes in for his two starts, again. you know, with Porcello and, and Sale. And I just think this Red Sox catching tandem is perfectly balanced. This is the most perfectly balanced tandem right now in Major League Baseball. And I think because Leon is out there for two starts... I think that keeps Vasquez in a rhythm and it keeps him fresh and robust. And I just, I think, you know, this is w- one of my favorite areas of the team right now. And, you know, and, and we can rave over and over about how, you know, well Porcello and Sale do with Leone. Um, but I don't know. I just... I this might be the only time I, I uh, you know, Leon's my hero, but I, I thought it was a little appropriate this time. Uh, any thoughts on him before we get over to
3: Zeros? Sure. Okay. When whoever came up with the phrase, even a blind squirrel finds a nut, they were contemplating Sandy Leon hitting the three-run home run in the series. Um, with that said, I don't disagree with you that he complements Vasquez well. And obviously with Vasquez being basically the third best offensive, I can't believe I'm saying it, the third best offensive catcher in baseball, I think it allows Leon to be what he is more and comfortable in that role. And with that said, I'm softening on the Leon vasquez tandem as a result. Uh, The three-run home run is basically all gravy because what you're expecting from him is plus defense with plus game calling. So if he hits if he hits you yeah, a home run or knocks in a ribby or basically gets on base once, I think it's all positive. So I, I you know I'm softening on my vitriol for Leon and obviously with the home run, he was a big factor uh, in the game uh, that you know that we actually won. So yeah, absolutely. that's all I have to say about that. I mean that Vasquez being as good offensively as he has, has has basically you know, and I listen to it. it a ton of talk radio, and I take part in this podcast twice a week. No one's talking about how bad Leon is offensively right now. It's not an issue with this team because of Vasquez and because Leon is what he is defensively. So. Well,
1: Leon isn't really, like, his numbers aren't great. I'm not going to say that they are, but he is hitting. Um, yeah, I don't have the numbers up. He's hitting right around 200, so it's not like the ridiculous 0 you know, .080 he's one seventy
3: four with a six zero nine ops. Oh, is he one seventy four? Okay, pretty pretty fucking terrible. He's so he's slept about one hundred and twenty points low of the average uh, major league ops, and his you know, I mean, he's it is what it is. I mean, in the home run, and he had a home run, I think, a week ago. That's obviously helping the ops and the slugging percentage, but he doesn't get on base enough. And but again, again, it, look. If Vasquez is getting on base and doing what he's doing offensively, then the days that Leon plays, it's okay. It, that's it's, that's that's your backup catcher. That's fine. Absolutely. Um, go
1: ahead uh, with your uh, zero. This should be a fun. Uh,
2: yeah,
3: I mean, well, go ahead.
2: No, no. I was just gonna say I, I hardly ever chime in like in these situations, but. Uh, Leon's always been my guy that's no secret that's the only reason why I didn't pick him as a hero I didn't feel like he necessarily was but uh, But I mean just like Jeremy was saying just attack on like Leon isn't isn't he didn't get called back up from Pawtucket to hit you know he he got called up to do what he's doing and uh, Just I think if he can hit that's just the icing on the cake you know for him but anyway you can go ahead
3: by the way, that's that's one thing I've meant to mention is that I knew that Terry was going with Leon as the hero at Liz, Liz in your opening you were like, Well, you know, who's not a hero? Leon I was like, Oh, here we go. <laughs> well,
2: well, a good I, start.
3: And you didn't well, know I, it, which is the best part.
2: Yeah, well well, I feel like I've picked Leon or a tandem of Leon and Porcello or Leon and Sale multiple times, so if I keep doing it. I mean, that's kind of lame on my part. I always try to, like, pick somebody else. Um, so, so that's the only reason, the main reason why. But uh, I think it was in the third he was at, um, I think it was the third. Uh, he, he was at bat with the bases loaded, and I was actually out at that time, and everybody I was with was leaving the bar we were in. And I'm like, oh, my God, if Leon hits a fucking Grand Slam right now, I'm going to freak out. And I'm like, God damn it, Liz, you are not a fan of this team. Just stop. But I stood there and sadly watched them strike out. But then he got the home run, so it was pretty well, fucking awesome.
3: Anyway. you are a fan of the team. It's it's uh, a situation, which is fine, but, you know. Stockholm syndrome. Uh, you can heavy eye roll all you want. We all know you're a Red Sox fan. Um, my zero is Weber. And he sucked today in a spot where he's not intended to be, you know, The stopper, we talked about that last podcast. He's not the ace, obviously. He's really just a depth piece, and you can't ask much of a depth piece. But after what happened in Game 2 and that debacle, you got to get more out of your starting pitcher than four innings, eight hits, seven runs, all earned, two walks, two strikeouts, and a home run. You just have to. And I don't care if you're a 4A pitcher, which basically is what he is, or you're anybody on a major league roster. You have to give your team more than what he did today. He sucked. He gave you no fucking chance to win. And it it was a nice story, in in my opinion, that just turned into a goddamn dumpster fire in a brief four innings. He sucked, gave you no chance. Uh, Required uh, five innings from the bullpen, uh, which, by the way, they weren't great. Velasquez sucked. Brewer sucked. Um, Taylor gave up an earned run as well. I mean, just the whole thing was a a dumpster fire today, 14 earned earned runs, obviously. But you you just got to give me more when your team has a heartbreak loss like they did in game two than Weber did. So he's my zero.
1: Yeah, I mean... He he had terrible minor league numbers to start the season in April through early May, and his ERA was over 5, and I think it was 5.04. And I was, I mean, he was just a body to put on the roster because Evoldi's out, Price was out, and, I mean, that just spoke to our lack of depth, and I, I think he just kind of got our hopes up, because recently we were talking about, you know, what is this guy, because his minor league numbers were bad, and he's only had a few spot starts in his major league career, and I just, he was intriguing, and, and tonight kind of came back down to earth, so I mean, I, I don't really know what to expect out of him going forward, but We'll, uh, we'll kind of talk about that later on with the bullpen, but I was a little bummed tonight, you know, after seeing what we had seen. Uh, any thoughts, Liz? Uh, and if not, you can go right to your zero. Uh,
2: um, I mean, the only thing would be, I, I mean, that, granted, I haven't been paying, you know, that much attention, I, I guess, or as much as you guys, but I mean as far as his inconsistency is just another E-Rod like to me you know it'd be he might be good one game and then suck the next and or good two, suck one or whatever whatever the case may be but um hopefully I mean I don't know the timeline on on uh Evaldi but hopefully something gets figured out soon be it you know him or uh or someone else I don't know somebody else steps up but My zero is going to be a little non-traditional, and uh, Jeremy kind of alluded to it earlier on Twitter, uh, as I'm sure everybody has probably heard at some point from national sports media. The Rays have, uh, we have an attendance problem. Oh, you know, that's been an issue, like, for as long as I can remember. But uh, last night, they had their lowest attendance in team history, and... It was, and I wasn't there, so I mean, obviously, I wasn't helping the situation. I worked 12 hours yesterday, but uh, the attendance was only 5,786 people, and um, the previous on Monday was like 15,000 and something, which I realized for a Memorial Day probably isn't a lot, but pretty good for us on a Monday game, and uh, then tonight, it was only a little bit more than that. It was 6,166. And I'm not really calling out the fans. I'm not here to do that on a platform and a team in the same division uh, or anything like that. Plus, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been to a game yet this season. That's my bad. But um, I'm really more so calling out, or my zero, I guess, would be uh, the ownership team slash the front office. I mean, I, I really think that is the major problem here. It's clearly not the product on the field. Um you know, the, the Rays have done nothing but, but be awesome for the last two seasons, and yet still, you know, the attendance is getting worse. Like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? I just don't even get it. But uh, the front office is just not doing a good enough job, and the ownership group are not endearing themselves to the area. They're almost alienating, you know, uh, locals and, you know, criticizing the fan base for not showing up. That's not how you get butts in seats. Like I, I'm no, you know, PR specialist by any means, but that's not going to make me, you know, want to show up to more games. You know, it doesn't hurt me personally, but other people it will. The casual fan, you know, they're like, oh, well, you don't, you don't care if I'm there or not. Fine, I'm not going to show up. I'll just sit at home and watch if I watch at all. You know, kind of a thing. And uh, the whole stadium issue. A lot of people want to blame it on Tropicana being being a piece of shit, and it's not the best. But uh, I enjoy myself there. You know, it's it's nice when it's 98 degrees outside when it's only 72 in the trap, you know, I don't think we'd, uh, have anybody there if it was an open stadium, but, um, ultimately the stadium itself, uh, location wise is a problem, but I think they would at least, you know, go back to what attendance was a few years ago, which wasn't great either, but at least during the week we had, you know, eight to 10,000 and on the weekend, you know, they had 20, so... So the Rays, the Rays ownership slash front office is my zero. Do better. You've got awesome players uh, with only, uh, I think our payroll is only around $52 million. And uh, you need people there to watch them. Get it done, damn it.
1: I actually, uh, I heard it on the radio. And as you were uh, going through it, I was trying to find a source on uh, Twitter but I, I heard the actual number of people in the trap was only like 1,200 something. Have you? What, yesterday? I think so, yeah. You know, so whether the tickets know. were I, sold, I mean, sometimes they're bought by like Ace Ticket or something, and then...
2: Uh, up, up, up there, yes. Yeah. Down here, no. Okay. Uh, there's... there's yeah, there's there's almost no such thing as like a ticket broker down here. I'm sure there is some, but we're gonna depend on more of like a sub hub a SeatGeek, a Vivid, you know, something like that, or the guy standing out front going, "I need tickets." You know, that's our ticket broker. We're not like Boston, so.
1: Okay, but, I, I heard it on the radio, and I don't even. I think it was Wei, but you know, yeah. it's it's a it's a huge problem, and they shut yeah. that upper deck down. So you know, to try to. Kind of squeeze people together to make it look like, you know, there's more of a a presence among the fans. But just absolutely crazy, you know. I mean, if I were, if I lived in the Tampa area, that is a team I would be excited about. I would love watching that team. So it's just crazy to me that they're not into it, you know. It's.
2: Well, and it, to be honest, I mean, it's not that the area isn't into it. I mean, they have, we have reasonable, in fact, that there there was a tweet about the, the TV ratings. Like, I want to say, like, yesterday, for instance, like, they were number one for their time slot. Like, and there's a guy on Twitter, uh, TB Baseball Attendance or something. I wish I remembered his handle. He's fucking awesome. He He does all the, like, hard stats on attendance and compares. Markets and populations and median household incomes all just as a hobby, which is totally insane to me but that's what he does and um, And he like broke down the numbers of how many people based on How many people are in Tampa Bay how many households were actually watching and all these kinds of things the people are there But the problem is take someone like me, so I, I If you're if anyone listening is familiar with the Tampa Bay area, I don't live that far from the airport so, so, I'm in the airport, I'm on the Hillsborough side of the Howard Franklin Bridge, which is a fucking beast during brush hour. You know, if I get out of work, which I don't, but let's just pretend that I did. I got out of work at 5 o'clock, I gotta go home, which is 3 miles from my job, let my dog out, change my clothes, whatever, and then sit in traffic for probably an hour to an hour and 20, just depending God forbid there's an accident or something, we'll add another 30 minutes, to get to the truck. I don't think I can get there by 7, I really don't, I don't think I could get there by 7, let alone me in my real life, where I work you know, a 10 hour shift minimally, I would be having to get out of work early to uh, even make that quasi manageable, like I think now if I go to a game during the week, I take like a half day, so I can come home, leave by like 3, get down there to miss rush hour. It's a, it's a big it's a big fucking hassle for somebody in my area. And maybe that's not an excuse to a lot of people, but I mean, that's my life. But uh, let's say that, the, that they could somehow, by some act of the universe, I don't know, get Hillsborough County to help them out and get this stadium downtown. It would be totally feasible for me if I got out at 5. Got out at 5, came home, did the same thing, dog out, change clothes, whatever, and then get down to the stadium, and even if I didn't stay the whole game, if I stayed until 9.30 or 10, like like the game is still going on, actually, right now, there are extras, but, I mean, I would totally do that, totally do that. I loved when I lived in downtown St. Pete, which, by the way, the area has nothing to do with anything. Downtown St. Pete is fucking awesome. Um, when I lived in downtown St. Pete in luckily 2008, eight nine. And ten, I think I moved to Boston in 2011. Um, I used to go. I was only off during the week. I loved going to weekday games because of the slightly lower attendance. You could move around a little bit. You got to know the people that were there. It was amazing. I loved it. But uh, unfortunately, you know, now I'm on the other side of the bridge, which everyone around here has a stigma against crossing, and uh, it just makes it more difficult. You know, you got to put the stadium and the theme where the population is, and the population's in Hillsborough County, not. Pinellas, which is where it is right now. So it's, it's a complicated issue, but I really feel like if they could revamp, and I won't talk Rays anymore, I promise. Um, if they could revamp the image of the team, they would get more people in the stadium. But they've alienated the group. You know, they've alienated people downtown. So they need to mend that before they can do anything else.
1: And it seems like it'll never happen, but hopefully it does. Yes. <laughs> uh my uh my zero tonight, I don't know if I've I don't know if anybody's picked this guy uh all year. I'm going with Mookie Betts and it's not so much even for his bat. I mean he's not quite the M V P guy he was last year, it it could turn into that his OBP has been hovering around 400 which is uh, you know very impressive but but what what's got me a little irritated is he's not quite as sharp defensively as you would expect and I covered either the last show or the show before he kind of botched a, a catch at the wall in the Astro series and then just last night there was I already forget who hit it but there was a ball basically hit to the wall for a guy like Mookie, probably going to get caught. Nesson said, I think it was Eckersley said, ninety nine times out of a hundred he would have caught that ball, but he took a bad route to it and just didn't didn't square it up at the end, and it, it bounced off the wall. Two runs scored. One would have scored anyway because the bases were loaded, and it was obviously you know all the all the way out in right field, but. Um, it's just frustrating that in a high leverage situation like that, where you're trying to minimize the damage to keep yourself in a game that spiraled out of control pretty rapidly, he just wouldn't be locked in in that moment to make that play. And then tonight, Jeremy, you were probably watching the Bruins and this is probably more Brock Holt's fault, but a ball kind of dropped in between them and, and shallow, right. And, and, Probably, like I said, more Holt's fault, but there should have been some communication there, and there wasn't. And it was just one of many things that went wrong tonight. And if Mookie Betts wants to, I mean, I think he thinks he's going to get a four hundred million dollar contract. Maybe he thinks he's going to break Trout's record. I don't, I don't know what's going on in his mind, but that's not that's not elite record breaking contract defense. He's been showing like there's been a regression defensively, and I, he's got to be better. <laughs> he he has to
3: be better. I totally agree, and I wouldn't just limit it to his defense. He's not he's has not been as good offensively, and he I mean, has. He, he had a decent series. He was five of fifteen, and he had a couple RBIs, and you know he wasn't. You know I'm not saying he's terrible, but. He's holding himself out and he's acting as if he's the best player in baseball. The way he's refusing to talk to the Red Sox about a contract extension when they've literally like they've gone on whoeverwilllisten.com and said we want to <laughs> resign this guy and he's like I'm not no, I'm not even having the conversation because I'm the best and I want to be paid as the best. Well guess what? Trout every year is awesome. He's unbelievable every single year. Even if he gets nicked up for a couple weeks, comes back, he's still awesome. And he's doing it in one of the worst baseball markets, on one of the worst programs in Major League Baseball. You're on one of the best in the best market. No offense, Liz. Actually,
2: no.
3: Full offense. Well, full offense. Full yeah. offense <laughs> intended. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it just, it's not good enough, Mookie. And what's crazy is you're basically saying I'm betting on myself I'm gonna put my put the money you know I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and he's been okay he's he's an all-star he's a top 30 player but he's not a top player he's not and the defense is a huge factor and Terry you're absolutely right uh, I still have the Bruins game on they're in overtime or in the intermission before overtime, so you're right. I did, but I did watch a large portion of the game when I was in the spot where I could have both on at the same time. And any time a ball drops uh, where an outfielder's in play, the outfield, and this is like from little league on to any level, if a outfielder can make a play on the ball, it's his ball, and if he doesn't take charge and make the play, it's his fault. Because any time you ask a player to backpedal into a fly ball situation, it's just obviously more difficult than an outfielder coming in for a ball. So I don't even know that I need to see the highlight to say confidently that if there's a ball that lands in the outfield grass and Mookie could have made a play on it, it's his fault. Period. End of story. And I don't know what it is with this team. It may be um, an indication just as a whole that they're not – as sharp as they were last year and the outfield defense by the way as athletic and as good as they all are has really been not great i mean that first two weeks of the season was pathetic and i'm not going to go into specific examples where you know instead of making a play on the ball they they you know keel back and let it bounce at their feet or what or you know a couple balls that were like just routine fly balls by major league baseball standards and you know whether it was Benintendi or Bradley or Mookie and Bradley or JD was there, they just—you know—it was like a game of two mimes, like just running into imaginary wall, and then the ball would drop. I, I, I'm at a total loss with the team generally, and I think having Mookie as your zero is is good. It's it, it shows an indication of the problem is a whole. It's as a whole. You know, it is. It's it's so fucking frustrating. I can't even tell you. Yeah,
1: and uh, so you know, we're all on board with that. And you know, like we said, he's going to be better. Um, all right, let's just uh, touch on the series real quick before we uh, blow up this uh, bullpen here. Uh, game one, uh, Monday, Memorial Day. Rick Porcello got the start. Uh, not great right out of the gates, uh, you know, he gave up, I think it was four runs early, and, uh, and then he and Sandy kind of got together and, uh, decided not to throw the slider and the change up as much, they relied on the two-seamer and the four-seamer, but he did eventually, uh, settle in, six and two-thirds, uh, gave up eight hits, most of them early, uh. Walked three, struck out four. Got the win regardless, uh, you know, thanks to some run support. Um, Twelve runs were scored. Uh, you know, we talked about Leone earlier. Um, J.D. Martinez uh, hit two home runs that game, so maybe that's a, a good sign that he's coming out of his, uh, you know, the back issues he's had. and um you know, Bogarts had a couple of hits, Chavis, Brock Holt, uh, had a hit in an RBI in his first game back. And the thing that is cool about that, and I'm not really a Holt guy and the the whole Griffin Holt thing, I'm just not into that, but I thought Holt was going to be kind of slow out of the gates, much like Steve Pierce was, and we're not really seeing that right now. So, um, Good start anyway, but uh, do you guys have any takeaways from uh, game one?
3: No, I mean, look.
2: I you, what I already
3: said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Thank God they won it. I mean, you know, that's... <laughs> I, I don't want to... You know what? No, I don't. Because I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of what I... You know, I, I'm on record as just... Frustra- the, the level of frustration and I'm just going to say that luckily they came out and took care of business in game one and and uh, salvaged what, you know
1: Yeah, absolutely uh, Game 2 on Tuesday David Price got the start there was a rain delay kind of screwed with the tempo of the game uh, they were up against a rookie making his debut Zach Plesak, who is the nephew of former Mets pitcher Dan Plesak And he pitched, you know, pretty well himself, went five in the third, uh, only gave up one earned run. Price, as we talked about earlier, impressive. Six full innings, only gave up three hits, Uh, no runs whatsoever, walked one, struck out six, considering that's his, uh, I'll call it his second start back. I'll I'll give him a pass on the Houston one. Uh, You know, very encouraging there. Um, What sucked big time and we'll get into it more i mean i i guess here's the question i you know we can ask before moving on was this the most painful loss of the year
3: yes and can i uh give a uh how i would have handled it if i was running the ball club i would have stopped at a burger king and i would got i would have gotten off the bus and then as soon as brazier turned the corner to use the bathroom I would have hurried everybody back (laughs) onto the bus and left. Yeah, that's that's a good good way to get it. I mean, two... All right. Okay. I mean, okay.
2: Sorry. This this guy sucks. This guy
3: sucks. I'm so fucking frustrated with him. And And I've been a Brazier backer as much as I possibly can be. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with this bum. I'm done with his crooked fucking neck. You know, I mean, three yard runs. He can't get a fucking out. Two bombs. His ERA is now four. I mean, what is your problem, you fucking loser? And and you know what? He is the guy I have the most problem with because he has sucked consistently for like three weeks. And you, and it's it, it's at the point now. And and the thing that's so frustrating is they have to rely on him because the bullpen is so pathetically weak. So you bring up guys like Weber who fell apart today. He's my zero, obviously. You know, guys like Walden, who in this game we're talking about, also gave up two earned runs and only could get one out. He's the guy that we thought was going to – I said he should be the closer a month ago. I came out pretty strong. He sucks. He sucks. And it's so frustrating because this is a game you have to win. And you have the rookie going today. And I don't care what what, what I said about Weber as a side. You got to look at it and go. Tonight we got to win. We've got a lead. This, you know, uh, in that sixth inning, uh, the second baseman booted a ball and, and gave us a three-run lead. Basically, we can't capitalize. Brazier can't get a single fucking out. Honestly, go to the, do the Burger King thing. And, hey, we're gonna all go get some French fries here, and then as soon as Brazier hits the head, everyone scurries into the bus and they take off and say, "Figure it out yourself, you bum."
2: Yeah. If you're not driving, if you're not driving people somewhere and dropping them off, God knows where you're leaving them in a Burger King. I love it.
3: Terry, Terry, back me here. Tell me that's not a bad idea.
1: I I would drive the bus and uh, hit the accelerator myself. But uh we're going to get into the bullpen here in just a second. Uh I'm not really going to get too much into uh tonight's game. I, I mean, we got lit up and the offense, you know, they put up 9 runs. They did the best they could, but they couldn't overcome a bad start from uh Ryan Weber and then you know, some of the Josh Taylor made his his you know, uh Red Sox debut and I I don't know if that was his pro debut. Um, but he was called up, uh, you know, as one of the moves. Moreland went on the uh, the UMF list, as I call it, um, and just not not a real good night, you know, for Red Sox pitching. And uh, fourteen to nine was the uh, the ugly uh, score. So, um, getting into the bullpen here because that's... On, just.
3: Just briefly before you leave that, and because I, I just want to say one thing. Sure. The fact that the offense battled and continually got back in the game says something. Like, if you were to say that there's, like, the littlest inkling of, like, hope. Tonight, okay, and again, I did watch the majority of the game, despite the fact that I am focusing on the Bruins. The, they continue to fight back, and they continued to give the pitching staff a chance to say, just hold it there because we're going to keep coming. And they couldn't do it. So, you, I mean, I'm ready to shit on this pitching staff more than anybody outside of Price, because Price has been awesome. But the, tonight, you know, at least we could say, look, this offense never stopped coming for more. And I like that about this team. They, they don't give away at-bats, even when they're down by a touchdown. That says something, and that gives me the smallest glimmer of hope that this fucking dumpster fire will eventually turn into a dumpster without a fire. All right, well, Terry, bullpen time.
1: Bullpen time. Uh, so, can I or,
2: say something too? Yes, go ahead. Of
1: course you can. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. no, no,
2: it's <laughs> so odd that I'm like chiming in on these things. This is getting <laughs> bad. So, do you guys really think that loss is worse than when Sale got 17 strikeouts and they still lost the game? That's the worst loss.
3: Well, that was a I, that, that was That's bad. A point. That's a decent point. But Liz, here's the problem. Okay. And we talked about this on Sunday night, uh, Terry uh, and I, um, and uh, Alan Nahigian. As we get deeper and deeper into the season, the we keep waiting for the the you know the, the line in the sand that we eventually cross and don't look back at. And as as these losses are mounting, now we're we're, we're going to be in June this weekend. This team is way too talented to be dealing with what they're dealing with. Like we shouldn't be having these issues. Now, you know, credit to the to the Double Rays, credit to the Yankees who are in my opinion both exceeding expectations with the Yankees injuries and the Double Rays being the Double Rays. The Red Sox have so much fucking talent, so much organizational depth, so much money. The team the, the fan base keeps showing up to the games. They're just they're underachieving at a level that I don't think any other Major League Baseball team can. Maybe the Cardinals is someone that comes to mind because they've been terrible. But the Red Sox have been so bad that you keep waiting for that time where, again, they're going to just cross a bridge and things are going to be different. And we thought that, that that was happening with the Cleveland, the game, the winning game one, that that was decisive after falling down 3 nothing. And then for the way this thing happened, it's just getting to the point where I've, and there's going to be another, and I don't. I hope it doesn't happen, but it feels like the next one that probably is going to happen in the Yankee series. They're going to be up 4-1, to one and then they lose the game, and that's going to be the worst league because as we get deeper and deeper into the season, it, we get farther and farther away from being able to turn this around to having it mean something as far as trying to win the division or being in a spot in the playoffs where you're not playing in the wild card game or, and this is a serious possibility, not making the playoffs and that's what makes this one harder because it's deeper into the season. And I and I agree with you, you have a great point. At that time that was devastating. I was like visibly upset in my living room when that happened. But as we get deeper and deeper into the season, these just these lo- these difficult losses mount and they become more and more important.
1: Yeah, the difference to me between the two is we were cruising in this game and it You know, the rug got pulled out from under us very suddenly. And then we were down by two runs, like just all of a sudden. And it was just such an unnecessary loss. And, you know, with the sale game, I mean, that was a close game, wasn't it, for the most part? And I know Brazier was actually the one who gave up the uh, go-ahead run. So he was even the culprit in that game. And I actually had his uh, stats up. Between that game, which was um, May uh, 14th until last night, which was the uh, 28th, he actually hadn't given up a run at all. And, you know, granted, three of those games were against Toronto, and uh, one of them was uh, against Houston, but, I mean... (sighs) He just, he can't handle the pressure in, in certain moments. And Cora has, a, you know, seemingly lost confidence in him. I mean, there were spots where we thought, oh, he's going to go to Brazier here, and he didn't. You know, he, he went to Workman once or twice and, and you know, uh, uh, Walden. And I, I just feel like, Last night was basically the final straw as far as him being the closer at this point. And he gave up the Grand Slam to Gardner against the Yankees uh, in April. April 17th was that game. And I blame Cora a little bit for that because there were runners on, and you can't be putting him in there with runners on. But nonetheless, the ball came out of Brazier's hands and then went over the outfield fence. And, and then he gave up a walk-off home run to Nicky Delmonico on May 2nd. And, and then last night. So he's, he's been the culprit of some of the biggest bullpen blunders. And I just think it's time we, we have to start mixing things up here. And I just feel like, I mean, who's the next man up for that inning? I mean, to me, it's probably Marcus Walden at this point. It, who will come in after Barnes. Like, isn't that the logical solution here?
3: I mean, I seemingly. Um, but by you're I mean that the, the problem is is there's it's not established talent. Um Barnes basically has one year of track record. If you're gonna go Walden, uh he has no track record. Um so it's it it's it's systematic. It, it, we have a problem. There, there's there's no one and there's no Kimbrel at the end of the day where you can just be like, okay, let's this. This guy will come in and get you know second second and third one out. We need a strikeout. Here's this guy. We don't have that guy. It's a problem. We, uh, it's a real big problem, and we don't have the assets to go get somebody like that. And that's why I wonder. You know, and I'm just curious about, just generally about like Keuchel and Kimbrell, but especially Kimbrell where we don't we can sign Kimberl without a draft pick problem. We don't lose a draft pick if we sign our own player. So I just I, I'm, I'm, I wonder what Kimbrell's ask is and why there hasn't been some move there. Why they can't pay him $10 million starting today for the rest of the year, which is basically like $18 million prorated to have that guy in the bullpen. I mean, we need something. This the, the whole thing's a problem.
1: Well, here's my issue with with Kimbrel, and it, it's it's fair, you know, to bring him up. Um, we don't know what he's going to be at this point. You know, he's not. He hasn't had a spring training. I don't. I don't buy into the simulated games that he might do with a pitching coach that he hires on the side. Like, I just can't get on board with that. And. We're trying to reel in the Yankees and the Rays, and we just don't have enough time to ride it out with someone that we're not sure can do it. On top of the fact that he really wasn't that good, you know, from August forward last year. In in the month of August, he had uh, a a 4.5 ERA with a one five zero whip. In the month of October, he had a 5.91 ERA. He gave up seven earned runs on... Ten and two thirds innings pitched with eight walks and and was probably tipping his pitches, so I just think it's it's really a long shot that the stars are going to align for him to to show up here and and make a difference and uh, you know and we need to start winning now with guys that we've at least seen and I mean I think even trading for basically another team's Marcus Walden or whatever, you know, a guy that's not going to cost a, a, at least a top 10 prospect, I think that's a better option than going with Kimbrel at this point.
3: I don't disagree with that. I mean, I really don't, especially if you can get him from a non-contender for nothing, you know, somebody on an expiring contract that has a plus fastball because this bullpen is desperate for plus you know, I mean, someone that can come in and throw 98 and get a swing and miss. Because right now, the, I mean, Brazier, we've already talked about it, he sucks. He should be left at a Burger King. Um, I mean, Barnes is probably your best swing and miss guy, and he's not great at it. So the problem is, when do these people start to become available? And when they become available... Uh, are they the type of guys that can help? That that are what we need. Which you know, I mean, swing and miss guys. Guys, you know, teams want to retain. So let let's say there's somebody on the Marlins. You know, what's it going to cost to get that guy? Or, or and why isn't he already under contract? And there's just inherent questions. It's like I, I uh, you know, and I'm being pessimistic also because the Bruins just lost in overtime and pissed oh, me off as well. Shit. But and
2: the race, the Rays just.
3: Finally, sweat the (laughs) Jays. Yeah, no one gives a shit about that. Um,
2: (laughs) Fuck you, Jeremy.
3: (laughs) That's like the fifth time I've heard that phrase today. So it's you know. But anyways, so (laughs) it's 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 Terry, and I totally I totally agree with you. Like, let's say the Marlins have a guy that can throw ninety eight and has like a walk uh, a walk per nine of like two and a half, which isn't elite, isn't terrible, maybe even three. I'm okay with that. Go get that guy. You know, you know, expiring contract. I just don't know that it's out there to be had right now. And assuming it is going to become available, it's going to take another month for teams to wave the white flag and say we're not going to contend.
1: Right. And and going back to the point where, you know, Walden you know, was my example, he's not proven, and he's not. I mean, so far he looks okay. You know, he's... He's got the lowest ERA of of anyone in the bullpen right now, 205. And he's been giving multiple innings as well. So his innings total is up there as well for having such a low earned run average. But but the one thing we do know is that Brazier can't handle it. So I'd kind of, I mean, I'm willing to take a chance on the unknown, you know, with a guy like him. Um, Another thing I want to mention real quick. I don't like the way Alex Cora was handling Travis Lakins, okay? This guy should not be immediately thrust thrusted. I almost said thrustrated, uh, you know, which is kind of, you know, I don't know, a hybrid of a couple of different concepts. But he shouldn't be put in high leverage situations right away. And his first appearance was against Detroit. It was the second game of a doubleheader. He went two and two-thirds, only gave up one run. We kind of had to there because, you know, like I said, it was game two. Darwins and Hernandez also, uh, you know, pitched a few innings of that. And then he had a a one-inning, you know, appearance against Toronto, gave up uh, nothing, didn't give up an earned run, struck out one. Then in the, the second game against Houston there with Price he was kind of put in a bad situation there and the rest of the bullpen was because it it became a bullpen game but he was left in I think too long he was two and one third gave up uh, two earned runs and then was pulled out of there and then finally last night he was Brazier you know was fucking losing it it was five to two Cora goes to Lakens uh, once the game became tied and I just think Hembury was available in the pen. I mean, that would have been that would have been the route I would have taken in that scenario, then throw Lakens into a, a situation where he has to hold the game to a tie to get us out of the, the inning. And he came in and was just as bad as Brazier really. He just wasn't wasn't right for for that situation and I would just rather see him in his first handful of appearances you know and lower leverage that way he can get his bearings he can get a rhythm and hopefully become the the high leverage guy that everybody's been talking about he had 35 straight scoreless appearances last year between AA and Triple A so this is a guy that could be a bona fide eighth or ninth inning guy and I just we've seen Cora fuck up in other situations and it's just I don't want to see him doing it with with young talent. And for anyone wondering about Durbin Feltman, I just looked at his numbers. I knew they weren't good before I pulled him up. Double A Portland six point three eight ERA with the Portland Sea Dogs. So he's not coming up anytime soon. And he's our top relief prospect in the minors, so um, you know it, it's just it's not working out. And I, I'd like to see Cora be a little bit smarter, you know, with the younger guys. No
2: thoughts. I don't. I, I, don't <laughs> I
3: don't dis- I don't. I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, you put yourself in a position where you have minimal depth and then when that minimal depth fails you rely on guys like lakens and you put them in positions where they're being treated as veterans and they're not it's not fair to the player uh, it's not fair to the team and the program and it goes to just show you that the roster management with this bullpen sucks there's no other way to put it it absolutely. sucks absolutely and you you put wait look i'll i'll admit that i'm wrong too because i thought brazier was something other than what he is and I, I expected Brazier to be basically the closer, and he sucks. He's he sucks. He's a piece of shit. So you know when that happens, you know what do you do? You put you put your you know Lakens gets gets the loss uh, yesterday, and he shouldn't be put in a position to be pitching that late inning. He just shouldn't. You're right, Terry. I agree with you, and I hate agreeing with you. So that what does that say? <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah,
0: and
1: that, he got option today, you know, probably because of that. Yeah, and thanks, he, but, yeah, yeah,
3: hey, we put you in an impossibly difficult situation. You failed, so we're going to send you back to Pawtucket. Yeah. Thanks for
1: nothing. He done. was probably rattled, and like, you go to Hembree, I mean, today would have been a perfect game to just throw Lakens out there in the sixth inning. We're behind anyway, just to kind of... You know, maybe face Lindor for the first time to see how he would hold up in a, in a, in a situation that's not high leverage, you know, so uh, one other thing I'd like to get to as far as this bullpen goes. It's an interesting scenario. I don't know if it's going to play out the way I would like it to, but Nathan Avaldi will probably be activated at some point next week and I think he's a very viable candidate to go into that ninth inning. I mean, he's been pretty he's been pretty versatile as we saw last October. I don't think any situation's too big for him. The only thing you have to weigh here is whether or not it's worth not having him start, you know, every fifth day. Can can he save you two two or three games in between that fifth start? And is that more valuable? You know, how, how do you guys – how would you guys like to see him utilized?
2: I can't even begin to say how I'd like – I can't believe I've chimed in on these things as much as I have today. So I'm going to let you guys handle that one because I got no idea. Right.
3: Well, I typically don't have an opinion, but I have one here. Um I think it's actually in the perfect situation for the player. You'd see if he works out in the bullpen in late innings. A couple of reasons for that. There's actually three reasons for that. First and foremost, health. He can't stay healthy. He has an unbelievable ability to pitch effectively when he's on the mound, but this is the second year in a row with the loose bodies in the elbow and some procedure. So you'd think that if you could put him in a position where he's only throwing – 15 to 20 pitches in a single inning, he, you could maximize him his effectiveness, which brings me to the second point. He's an elite strike thrower, and that's invaluable in a bullpen situation. And then the third thing that I think would be a factor in putting him in the bullpen in ex, with the expectation to pitch late in late innings is that he has a plus-plus fastball that he doesn't have to hold back on because he wants to throw 100 pitches. So he can come out and uncork 99, 100, 101, which he's capable of doing in that eighth or ninth inning setting because that's all that's being asked of him. So you're maximizing his production in with the pitches he's throwing while also you using his – I'm sorry, addressing his health concerns and also – Addressing the concerns in the bullpen which is we have a bunch of non power arms that can't throw strikes anyways and he is a power arm that can't throw strike He's a he's a plus plus strike thrower. There's no question about it. So I like the idea The problem is who fills in (laughs) who's the star? Who's the guy that's starting rotation? Velasquez as much as I praised him a month ago has sucked Uh, He sucked in the bullpen in the Cleveland series Weber was my zero today. I've already highlighted he sucked in a fantastic suckage today Um, so, you know, it becomes, you know, cause and effect. You're having a valuable piece come back. So what do you do with them? And my initial reaction is as much as I like the idea of him being in the bullpen. And I talked about this when he signed the contract, he signed a contract. That's a closer contract. 17 million a year, four years. Same contract, basically, as uh, Chapman with New York. I, I And we talked about this in the podcast in January whenever he signed the contract. Like, oh, I, I think the contract means something. I still feel that way. I just think that the cause and effect is too great as far as to the starting rotation because we're, we're missing a fifth starter right now.
1: I don't know how we would address that. I mean, maybe Weber's not. Maybe he's somewhere in the middle of where you know where he was tonight and where he was you know in his previous start when he was really good and and, and hopefully that's somewhere in a range that's serviceable. And then maybe maybe Velasquez is just a is just a two-inning guy that can wedge in. I mean, you could it's it's hard i mean it, i just feel like if avoldi came out of the pen last night that that game gets converted to a win if he was available in the first game of the um that recent astro series where where you know porcello was you know left in for the 8th inning you know, maybe that doesn't happen and that gets converted into a win. I mean, we were winning games with Voldy and Price on the DL. So I'm just willing to kind of put him in there and in the bullpen. I mean, that right now is my, you know, my favorite scenario. And one of the things I keep going back to is when you go to the playoffs and you see how, how bad that bullpen was coming into the playoffs. I mean, that's, I picked them to lose every round basically except the world series. And I just wasn't a believer that we could hold down the seventh, eighth and ninth innings and Kimbrell as well. I mean, you know, it was really scary. And, but when Alex Cora came up with that strategy to systematically use the starting pitchers on days where they would have thrown a side session anyway, I think what that did was, you know, it gave that eighth inning stability. Kimbrell was coming out in the ninth, whether we liked it or not. And that gave the the Joe Kellys, the, um, the Matt Barnes type guys, Brandon Workman. I just feel like it, it gave them a sense of security. And it took a lot of pressure off of them, knowing that one of those guys was going to step in there, you know, and Price did it once or twice. Sale did it a couple of times. Avoldi did it a couple of times. Porcello did it at least once in the Yankees series. And I just think, I just think that if you have Avoldi and Barnes at the end, you know, depending on where the high leverage is, the last two innings, nonetheless, I just feel like the rest of it will fall into place in the sixth and the seventh innings. And and if Barnes is unavailable on a given night because he's pitched two out of the last three, then I'd be fine with workmen doing it on, on an odd night. And I just think that's the best option for, for what we have, because like you said, Jeremy, we don't really have the assets to, to go after impact guys. You know, you, it, we'd be taking the flyer on someone and, and hoping for the best. And For now, that's what I would like to see. And, you know, like you said, maybe, you know, maybe that keeps him healthier for the bulk of the contract because I did not like that contract. I still don't like that contract. And maybe as a reliever, it just translates into a more productive four years than him throwing gas for five or six innings on average a start and then needing a third Tommy John or having more loose bodies floating around or, or whatever so I, I just think that's the, the best solution you know in the short term anyway
3: well uh, do you want to move on to the preview for the Yankees series um, sort of just one quick
1: note Uh. Final nail in Pedroia's coffin, I think we can agree.
2: You guys have had him in the coffin for a long time anyway.
3: <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. I, I, I was not rooting against us in Pedroia, but, but can we, as a fan base, acknowledge that this was coming? I mean, the, 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 the only problem I have is the delusional little leader gang. Jumping all over everyone for for basically a year and a half for suggesting that a guy is is potentially a problem on this roster. I owe and I've said this a million times, but everyone forgets it when they tweet at me. I root for every single player. I hated Euclid. I hated Euclid. I thought his person I still think his personality sucks. But he was still our you know third baseman for a while, then our first baseman. And he was on a championship team. Like, I still root for the player, despite the fact that I don't like his personality and I generally don't like him. And after the Eck thing, I felt the same way about Pedroia. Now, that doesn't mean I wanted him to fail, but the writing was on the wall. And I don't understand the delusional behavior with, with Red Sox fans that are like, you know, he's coming back and, and it's like, and then for people to suggest that the data. The eye test all suggests something else. And then, now that it's happened, I'm not reveling in it. I'm, I'm, I'm truly not. And, uh, you know, Terry, I'm going to leave this to you in a second. But it it makes us worse because I was honestly hoping that he would come back and be something of his former self because second base is a problem now. I mean, Chavis is not a second baseman by nature. I do think he's been, you know, better than expected. But, you know, we don't have a, a – quote-unquote second baseman to play second base. Uh, And this now forecloses the idea that Pedroia is coming back. So what does it mean? We're moving forward with the Nunez, Holt, Zuweylin, if he can get healthy, or Chavis as our second baseman, and that's not ideal. Um, I do, uh, you know, I don't feel bad for Dustin Pedroia. I think he's an absolute douchebag. I think the way he handled the Machado thing, uh, is a clear evidence of douchebaggery. I also think the way he handled the Eck thing is even better evidence of douchebaggery. And I just frankly think that um, the people that think he's going to retire to save the Red Sox money are out of their fucking minds. This guy's not going anywhere. He's going to go. He's going to sit around and collect his money. So
1: well, uh, he he can still know. be
3: DFA'd though and collect his money. And he could, but you still owe the money. If he retires and, quote-unquote, you know, does the right thing, which a lot of Pedroya people are still saying is a possibility, you're out of your mind if you think that, that would save them all the money. There would be no DFA. There would be no injury settlement. He would he would retire, and the money would come off the books. I mean, a lot of people aren't realizing that. If Dustin Pedroya retires today, all the money he's owed is off the books. It's yeah. just not going to happen. And that
1: That's definitely not going to happen. But, I mean, the the alternative mm-hmm. is to keep him on the 60-day DL for two and a half years. And I don't, I just, I mean, why? You know, it, they could DFA him, release him. He can go do whatever he wants. He's still going to get his money. He's not going to be on the 40, ma- well, I guess he wouldn't be if he was on the 60-day. But, um. But I mean, there—he's gonna get released. I mean, his career's over one way or the other. So it, it just—it doesn't matter what
3: formality they decide to go with at this point. And yeah. and that's the thing with Dustin Pedroia's comment, saying, "I don't think I'll play again, but I just don't know." Like it was fin- final, but then not. Yeah. And the reason for that is because, he, you know. He wants to get paid, and he wants to be. Now, if he could, if he could just come out and say, and maybe they're doing this right now. He he literally could be sitting in a doctor's office right now, getting this an exam that says you are physically unable to play. And if that happens, I understand it because then the insurance kicks in, and the Red Sox don't have to pay the actual dollars. The dollar bills would go to the insurance company, the insurance company would pay it. It wouldn't change anything with the the luxury tax and the and the salary cap and all those things. But the Red Sox would actually save the thirty five whatever million dollars it is. Um if he retires, then insurance isn't a factor, salary cap's not a factor, it all's washed away, so
0: Well let me let me ask you this. this.
1: Here's a scenario. What do you think? Um, Pedro and Poppy and and Veritek all get paid annually as consultants.
3: I would say somewhere between five hundred thousand and a million dollars a year.
1: Yeah, so th- I it's probably the lower end of that, but th- that was you know about the range I was thinking. So here's maybe something that could happen. Maybe they reach an agreement. he's owed. He's owed basically two years after this. So um, maybe they pay him for one year, but then agree to, to hire him on as a consultant at an annual rate that will cover whatever the remaining balance was 13, 14 million over the course of the next 20 years or whatever. And that would at least free up, you know, 13, whatever million, you know, from the, from the luxury tax situation. So he still gets paid, it's just it's kinda like deferred almost and and yeah.
3: I'm not I'm not I'm not sure, Terry, admittedly, uh how that would work. Then I mean that's obviously fuckery. And I'm not I'm not real sure if like Major League Baseball would be able to take an action against that or or see through it or whatever would be the factor, I just don't know. But I mean I get your point, and if it's possible, I think the Red Sox would do it.
1: Yeah, you know, I know I mean I
3: I, don't, I I gotta believe that there are there are measures in place to prevent against that level of fuckery. Yeah, and
1: maybe. I don't know. It was just something I kinda of pulled out of my ass. But um, but nonetheless, I mean his career does apparently seem to be over. I and I also I, I listened to Buster only's podcast a few times a week Uh, he interviewed Terry Francona on it who had a conversation with Dustin Pedroia on Monday before the game and I guess they spoke for about a half hour and only asked Francona you know well what did what did he tell you and Francona's like he basically told me that he feels like he's emptied the tank you know those were his exact words and so I mean it, it just seems like you know he's basically behind the scenes Admitted, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm never going to play again. So, uh, and you know, you talked about how you were rooting for him because you know you thought the team was better, and that's perfectly fair. I'm, <laughs> I wasn't because I don't like him and I'm just ready for that era to end. You know, and not that he's not going to be a presence every year at spring training and at other events, but you know i'm just ready for it to end i'm perfectly comfortable with chavis being the second baseman at least for the remainder of this year and there's plenty of solutions uh for first base so i'm i'm just i'm glad it's over and i had that live stream where uh, i i really uh really went after him and uh the uh that that thing you do jeremy yeah, I got that. For, I got that for about no, I, I, 36 hours. I did not hours.
3: listen to your live stream, but I did read the comments, and boy, did you get ether! Yeah, they
1: uh, they did not appreciate what I had to say about him. But but nonetheless, those were my true feelings, as uh, inflammatory as they might have been. And uh, yeah, so ready to uh, move on. Liz, do you have any thoughts on Pedroia before we get to the preview here?
2: Nah, I think you guys covered it uh, pretty good. I think just uh, the or I think I've asked this question before. I mean, do you think the people that are still clinging to him just are more casual fans and they they hear Bejoria, it's a familiar name, you know, and that's the only reason why they're still vehemently like fighting for him being, you know coming back because they still see him as that and they're not really paying attention at all. They're in I mean, denial. If you're watching the games, yeah. If, if, I mean, if you're watching it at all. And, I mean, I've been watching it. I mean, you know he's not coming back. There's no way he's viable in this market, thus, in your market.
1: Dustin so. Pedroia huggers are like 8-year-olds that just refuse to believe that Santa Claus is fake and believe in him until, you know, they're 12 or whatever. But it's just beyond the point of anything that's rational and... and. um yeah, it, it doesn't matter. You're just not going to have a, a rational conversation with them. Okay. Um, so, you know, basically, uh, you know, we're getting into it with the Yankees here. Um, if this, before we get to it game by game here, if this is a bad series, if we do worse than a split, and I'm already, spoiler alert, I'm picking the Yankees to win the price start. Um, if they take three out of four, I mean, how do you recover from that?
3: I just, I, I don't know. Well, this is one of those series where and we've talked about this and why I'm so frustrated. You ha- I said it on Sunday night. You had the, the Indians at a very vulnerable position. And I begged them to take advantage of it walking into the series with the Yankees. And they didn't do it. And that's what makes this thing so goddamn frustrating. So now we have the Yankees where we just dropped a series we should not have dropped. And they are a good baseball team despite the fact that they have a lack of talent due to injuries and they're overachieving. And we're healthy as we could possibly be. But for Evaldi... And we're underachieving. I, this could go. This could be bad. This could be real bad. And it's in New York. And I, I, I just, you know, I really don't know what to say. I will say this. Christopher Sale. Tomorrow's big. You're getting paid $150 million. You're the ace. You're the big swinging dick. You got to go out and beat J.A. Happ tomorrow. You have to do it. Uh, that's that. And I'm, I, I, not that we can on the pad on the podcast stop our analysis there, but I'd like to say that if he can go out and do that, I'd feel a lot better about moving forward with winning one more of the series and getting the split. But he's your ace. He's your guy. He's your stopper. And I know Price has been better and all that stuff. But right, Sale is your best guy. He has to go out and shove tomorrow. And give you a chance to at least split the series He has to do it It's it, it's so imperative Now that we're getting into June The margin for error is shrinking Exponentially And this, this Chris Sale start To me is just massive It is the biggest game of the year yet He has to go out and, and perform And give you a chance to win the game Absolutely And
1: that is uh, Let's see that is game one isn't it Yes, because he, he was going to start yes, today Tomorrow, tomorrow against J.A. Happ at 7.05 Right, so I mean that I mean, Sale has good numbers there He's, you know, kind of had a couple of sloppy outings with uh, the Astros But that's one of his worst teams and he didn't look terrible So, I mean, this this is a start where the Red Sox should win And, and we've gotten to Happ He hasn't looked great recently, had a couple of bad uh, outings against Baltimore of all teams, and I just think this Red Sox lineup is, you know, is hot enough to be able to do what they have been doing to him uh, in recent starts, and... If if we if we don't come out of this with a win, that's going to be a terrible tone to set for the rest of the series. Knowing that David Price is pitching the Sunday night game, so I don't know. I'm going with Chris Sale on this one, though. I'm just I'm just taking it at face value, and I'm picking the Red Sox in Game One.
2: Yeah, I would. Definitely. I agree. Uh, uh, I mean. Uh, really sale uh, I don't know I mean I guess price historically hasn't been that great over there but the starters aren't worrying me except for I guess Erod um, you know it's not that it's, it's exactly what happened with the Indians you know offense is going to show up starters are going to be even if they're not you know perfect you know shut out or whatever they're going to be good but then the bullpen's going to come in you know and then, and then, what's going to happen? And for me, like it just means the Yankees pulled that much further away, you know, from you know from the Rays. I hate that I, I keep bringing them up. I guess, but but I mean that that's why it's important to me for you guys to win this series. Like, not only do you guys need some wins, and uh, clearly the Yankees are um, your favorite team to, to get those against, but but I mean it, it means it means a lot to my team too. So, but. I'm confident. I'm I'm fairly confident in Sale. I, I think he can shut them down. I'm just worried, you know, once Sale gets pulled.
1: Yeah. Well, the the bullpen is a factor, and uh, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to ignore. Yeah, and and just take that at face value. Uh, but you know, if they if they uh, you know, if they can find some of oh, that. No, no. Up,
2: Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah,
1: I was just saying, if they can find some of that October magic, um, you know, maybe maybe they can kind of be a little bit locked down. Um, game 2, Erod versus uh, to be determined. That might be Domingo Herman, but Erod surprisingly has a sub-3 ERA at Yankee Stadium and, and pitches against the Yankees very well at Fenway and like I said in the last podcast it doesn't matter how up and down he is coming into a given start if it's a big start, he typically shows up so uh, I feel okay about Erod and he's coming off of a good start anyway so uh, I feel pretty good about him in, in the Friday night game
3: Yeah, I mean, look, Rod has given you a chance to win. I, I don't have concerns necessarily about it. Not, not, not to think that I think they're going to win the game, but um, you know, I do think he gives you a chance.
0: Uh,
3: you know, his ERA is still over five. Uh, they've, they've, they've scored runs for him, which is obviously an indication by his record, which is five and three. Uh, Herman has since. Uh, been named as the starter since the podcast started, uh, so we we can expect uh, Domingo Herman to, to pitch in that game. Um, you know he's been good. He's I think nine and one or something like that with a mid three ERA. So actually, on I paper,
1: ha- I was gonna say I have his numbers up right now, and he he's had a quality start every time out except for. Um, his recent start where he gave up a seven spot. he gave up a touchdown, Jeremy, as you like to say, against the Royals and although he did have a, a two inning, maybe that was relief, I don't know. Um, but he's he's given up, let's see three runs or less in, in all of those starts. He would be the best pitcher on the Boston Red Sox, you know if if he had these same exact numbers, a uh, you know a three and a half ERA on the year, but you got to figure that that was blown up in his last start. Just pitching really well, but um, uh, you know against I'm I'm again I'm just going to lean on face value here and and take um, Rodriguez.
3: I'm okay with that. <laughs> I I don't I mean again sales the key start to me I mean this game could go either way I mean and Herman did suck in his last start so you know maybe you know maybe we're gonna catch catch him at a bad point and that's fine but again to me sales the, the key start to start the series uh, I do think Erod's going to give us a chance to win though.
1: Yeah, hopefully You know, and we got to fire on all cylinders Because as Liz said, you know, the bullpen He's not going to go Probably more than six anyway And, uh, you know So, who knows Uh, Rick Porcello, game three He pitched very well Against them last year Um, He gave up A a home run In the first at-bat to Didi Gregorius In an August start and then basically pitched a no hitter after that, a complete game, um, you know. So another guy that matches up very well with the Yankees, and that will probably be a bullpen game for them as well.
2: Yeah, having a complete game with Porcello playing the way. Well, I mean, I guess he had four runs scored on that last start, but. But I mean, if, if he can if he can do what he's been doing, uh, you know, with Leon, if he could get a get a complete game, I mean, that would be great for the bullpen. Give them some time, you know. They because uh, I think they're going to be putting putting the work in, you know, probably with the other starts. So if, if he can if he can pull it out, you know, that would be great. Or pull it off, maybe not out, but off. <laughs> that would be uh, <laughs> that'd be good.
1: Jonathan but, uh, Papelbon used to pull stuff off. Oh, God. At the end of games. <laughs>
2: he, mm-hmm.
1: he danced to Shipping Up to Boston. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I mean, going into game four now, I mean, this, this is Price's Haunted House. It's always a bloodbath. Whatever your favorite horror movie is, just imagine David Price is one of the people in that movie that dies in a gruesome way. Because he, he just get, gets absolutely shelled at Yankee Stadium. Gary Sanchez is back. You know, he owns Price. He won't have to face Judge, but I just, I don't know. I mean, realistically, put a percentage on it. What percent chance does Price have to win game four?
3: Who'd you say he was pitching against? Because I'm sorry, what I'm looking at is still TBD, and I I, I missed what you said as far as who's starting that uh, game. Sabathia is starting. Percentage chance to win that game eighty percent. Really for Price, or, or just Sabathia? for the or for the team? Well, I mean, he's not going to poop his. Pe-
1: Price might give up six runs in the first inning. Like, I mean, that's how bad he is.
3: Well, that's relatively. Look, I mean, I don't. And Sabathia does, despite despite his serious drop in ability in the last five years, he still has a way of kind of keeping his team in the game. I don't know, man. I, I thought David pitched uh, in the Cleveland series in a manner. And, you know, again, we talked about it. You know, he pitched the 15 innings and then had to leave because of the flu. And then with the rain delay. He continues to show that he's turned a corner. I, I, I like our chances in that Sunday game. Uh, it's an ESPN game against Sabathia. Uh, maybe not eighty percent. That might be a bit <laughs> overzealous, but I think it's certainly fifty-one percent or better.
1: Well, that you know, I mean, he got the he got the playoff you know chip off his shoulder, and you know, got at least two wins, maybe even three last October. And, you know, this is one of the remaining ones that he just hasn't, you know, he hasn't been able to shake yet. So, I mean, it it would be a big step forward. And if we're talking, and I'm way ahead of myself, but, you know, if four months from now we're talking about a Red Sox-Yankees matchup in the playoffs, and we can look back and say, well, there was that start in May where, you know, he finally shut the Yankees down in their home ballpark. I mean, I think that would go a long way.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I really think just based on what Price has done so far, like, he's he's a different guy. I mean, maybe you're wrong. I mean, maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you've never been a super fan of Price anyway, so, uh, and, and you definitely know the numbers and that's, you know, better than I do, but... I feel like he's going to come in and you know maybe not be as dominant as he as he has been outside of Yankee Stadium, but I think he's going to surprise you.
1: Well, I I hope so because I mean every win is is huge at this point and and um yeah so he there's I mean he's been through the ringer I mean the worst of his career is behind him barring injuries or whatnot so I mean eventually you know the small stuff shouldn't be phasing him you know and starts like this so but you know he already played the sick card in in Houston and I'm sure that was legit so <laughs> he he should be good to go anyway for for Sunday night uh, any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, before we wrap here Nope. Okay. Well... Please,
2: please, please, dear God, beat the Yankees. Please.
1: Yeah, well, you need our help as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're playing the, the Twins. The Twins are killing it, and, uh, and I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about how we're going to play against them, but uh, that, I need you guys to win. More, more a, now than ever.
1: The Twins <laughs> are another team far. that beat the crap out of the Red Sox. The Twins do. And even when they're bad it's just for whatever reason we don't play well in minnesota and i i remember the world series year 2013 i think they swept us and you know not that it mattered and it was around this time of year but it's just yeah i have, have fun with them this weekend are, are they home or away the race yeah
2: oh the Rays are home yeah i'm going to the game on saturday so
1: okay so, so we'll see how that goes. There you go. All right. Well, uh, all right. So we'll, uh, Jeremy. I'll see you uh, Sunday night. Could be a late one because uh, Sunday night ESPN yep. game. But, but we'll uh, we'll cover it, and hopefully it'll be happier than uh, the last this show, <laughs> the last one, and many others before. So we'll see. Good night, everyone.
2: Fingers, fingers crossed. Good night, guys.
1: All right, so we're going to have a bonus segment here with uh, Chris Stacey, if I can pull him up on uh, Twitter. He is uh, a Yankees podcaster, and this kind of literally just came together. We've been talking all day, and, and, um, and, uh, He just texted me a few minutes ago and says, yep, he goes, I can come on. So we'll get a Yankees perspective. Normally we have uh, Chris Saunders on, so we'll uh, we'll get a fresh perspective on the Yankees series and kind of talk about their season and maybe get some injury updates as far as uh, what they expect in the coming weeks, so I'm not a good multitasker, but um, I think we can uh, get him on here really
0: quick.
4: Lou. Hey, Chris, how are you? What's going on, Terry? How are you? Not
1: much. I am the worst multitasker ever, but I managed to get you on Um, since... You know, since I'm a little kind of under the gun here, uh, why don't you uh, give everyone your your background? You know your your podcasting and blogging and so forth.
4: Well, uh, played baseball my whole life through college. Diehard Yankee fan. Sorry to sorry to tell your listeners and your <laughs> followers. Um, but really, it was just it was to a point where it was unhealthy, where. Uh, I would scream at the TV, you know, a regular fan, just a little unhealthy, a little extreme. And me and my other buddy who there, let's be honest, there's really not too many true Yankee fans out there. Um, he's an he's a true fan. We decided to kind of just start our own company and, and it kind of took off for us. So we're on, I believe, our third season now third Yankee season started at the end of 2017 um you know we've we've had some pretty big names which was kind of shocking to us at least starting out you know on our show and it and it helped us kind of um make a name for ourselves in the Yankee Yankee world
1: yeah and I mean where can
4: people find you on uh, iTunes and if you if you, if any of your listeners or, or fans are just want to hate someone and hate a bunch of Yankee fans, they can find us on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. We're pretty much audio wise. We're all over. We just started doing video, which is now turned into live video. Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, if you go to YouTube and type in myyst, uh, we should pop right up there too. Yeah, and that's
1: the uh, New York Yankees Sports Talk Podcast. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, we're coming up head-to-head this weekend, and um, I got to say, I mean, I, I like the starting pitching matchups uh, for the Red Sox a little bit better. We basically have all of our big starters going in this, though we did already give you the Sunday game with David Price. No, uh, I'm not going to bullshit my way through that game. But uh, we have Sale, Rodriguez, and Porcello, all of whom, uh, you know, have had success, recent success against the Yankees. But your lineup, I feel like, is a little bit more locked in right now, and our bullpen is an absolute dumpster fire. So, Honestly, from a fan's perspective, I would probably be happy with a split here, but
4: who knows? <laughs> I'll say anything. Anything less than the Yankees winning three, I actually put a bet on the line. I have to get a tattoo somewhere, somewhere <laughs> that, somewhere that my co-hosts choose, and I can't say no. Um, but see <sighs> this, and this sounds a little. This probably sounds a little crazy, but. I'm actually the most afraid probably of Rodriguez. Yeah, I just feel uh, every time he faces the Yankees, whether he's having a good year, bad year in between, he finds a way to just shut them down. I mean he's going against Terman who has been liked out for us and and he's been one of the better pitchers in all of baseball, but his last couple starts have been a little concerning. A lot of Yankee fans are asking, is this gonna be is this a trend? Is this just a couple off games? I I said right off the bat that this second game in the series is gonna tell whether this is the path he's going down, is he coming back down to earth or you know, were those just a couple bad games, but I think Chris Sale, I mean obviously it's Chris Sale, no matter I don't care if the guy's got a sixteen ERA, I'm scared to face him, but I think with this lineup the Yankees The Yankees right now have been putting together some good at-bats. I think they can knock him out early. Um, Porcello's always hit or miss against us. And then, you know, David Price, like you said, doesn't have the most success. So that that game against uh, Rodriguez is actually the one I'd be most concerned with as far as the Yankee offense goes.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're hoping for, you know, three out of four, that that's a really bold bet. By the way, I, I would not have even if I were a Yankee fan. That was extremely optimistic. I um, I would it, not it be.
4: Wasn't it wasn't like I I was cocky and said they were going to win three at the beginning of the year, but my co-host Christian and our other host uh, Ryan. They thought that Ellsbury had a chance. Jacoby Ellsbury had a chance of being on the uh, 25-man roster come opening day. So I bet them a tattoo wherever they chose of whatever they wanted that he would not be anywhere near opening day. Uh, um, And I was right, and I was kind of upset about it. So now I've been putting this bet on the line because I kind of just want to do it just to to entertain people at this point. But I kind of just do it now so that Our listeners and our and our followers, if I mean I think if the Yankees split, um, it's not a bad thing, but we'll definitely be a little more disappointed than taking the series. Obviously, so it'll just give us something to look forward to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so you must be—I don't even know what the word for it is. I mean, if I if I told you on April 1st, that you're about to lose Judge for probably, you know, the first couple of months anyway. I know he's kind of – he's fairly close. Uh, Did I say Judge or Stanton? Judge is a little far out. Stanton will be, um, you know, should be activated fairly quickly. You know, Severino wouldn't, you know, be a factor, at least for the first half of the season. Um you know, so, so many names are escaping
4: me right now, uh, but just injury riddle. Do all you have to do is just pull up the twenty-five man roster <laughs> to start opening day, and you just and you just name them. You list them right down down the line. Yeah, I mean, Batantis
1: is, is another one. And you you didn't have Sanchez for a little while. He was on the DL, and um, I I just. So take all of that, and then I told you on June first you'd be in first place. You know
4: what would you tell me? Honestly, it it's so it's it's almost like a roller coaster of emotions because and you would think it's just happiness and you know I feel good as fans, but I think the true Yankee fan right now is lying if they're not telling you they're a little bit on edge because. There's a part of you that is obviously excited about this team, um, what they've done thus far. And let me just ask before I keep going, can you hear me okay on, on you, your end? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're coming through. Um, and, you know, that, that part's great. Then you look at it from, you know, Brian Cashman's standpoint, and a lot of fans rip him. Honestly, a lot of the fan base doesn't like Brian Cashman, but I can't think of another team who could have had this many injuries and sustained this type of success. They didn't just tread water and keep their heads above water. They're in first place in the AL East, and that says a lot about the depth put together. So, again, another positive that you're taking out of this. My biggest concern why I'm on edge is because I know these guys are coming back. And I want them to come back. I'm not, you know, there's a lot of Yankee fans out there that don't want any of these guys to come back now because they think this new, uh, you know, scrappy team that doesn't strike out a lot is a championship caliber team, but they're not. And my biggest concern is that by Memorial Day, I can sit down and truly evaluate this team, what needs to be done who they need to get or what they need to get to fulfill this roster. And right now I can't because, yes, these guys are going to come back and we don't know who's going to perform throughout the rest of the year because we're not watching the team that we expected to take the field. So, yeah, it's great that they're winning. Can they still sustain it throughout the rest of the year the way they're constructed? Maybe, but I need to see some pitching. And the pitching's been really good thus far but we all know that after the after these hot humid days of summer where guys are throwing more innings and more pitches that come come end of august through september these guys are tired and you start to see it and i need to know if severino's coming back i need to know um if paxton's gonna stay healthy if batances is gonna come back the same guy i'm telling you right now if if Dylan batances comes back and he's the same dominant Dylan Batances as we know, uh, this team is going to be really, really, really scary going into October, assuming they make it that far, but I don't like to assume.
1: And I guess while we're at it, what are your expectations for Severino? Because, I mean, you hear mixed reports, and I, I get mixed opinions from Yankee fans you know, on Twitter. Like, I mean, is he going to, will he come back, or is this going to be a season-long injury that may or may not result in some type of, you know, surgery or procedure or whatnot?
4: From everything we've heard, and you can't, you don't even know what to believe when it comes to the Yankees and their injuries, but from everything I've heard, um, I if I had to put a date on it, I'm thinking mid-August where there's a possibility Severino comes back, because they'll probably tell you sooner, but I don't know. I They're saying post-All-Star break. So for me, you want to be optimistic and say maybe end of July, fine, but I think it's going to be a little bit longer, and I think it's really going to depend on... I See, I think the Yankees will bring him back, and if he's effective right out of the gate, and he's showing that he can be an impact uh to this team, to this clubhouse, to the success uh, throughout the rest of the season and hopefully in the postseason, if he shows that right away, I say he's back and, and can contribute to this team. I think if you see any signs of them bringing him back and he looks like he you know lost some velocity or he's just not sharp, I don't think they're going to give him too long before they say, you know what, this is rushed. I don't think he's going to have enough time to develop into the guy we need him to be, and they might just shut him down for good. I do think you'll see him regardless. I just don't know um, if he's going to be an impact player for this team in 2019.
1: All right, and uh, Judge was uh, or is about to be hitting off a tee from what I have heard.
4: Yeah, Judge, I mean... It's crazy. It's like when he got hurt last year, and the Yankees throughout this obnoxious timeline of when he was coming back, and you know they were five weeks off. Um, it's like the Yankees are scared to to give anyone too much information now. So as far as Judge Batista Stanton, you're almost left in the dark. Like they'll give you a little tidbits, and it's starting to really, really scare me with Judge. Um, because they won't even put a time. You don't even have to give me an exact date. Just give me an approximate, you know, within a couple weeks of when you expect him to, to really start to get back into the groove of things. I don't know how confident they are that, you know, even though he's going to be swinging off a tee that he's just going to come back and feel, feel ready to go. I think judge is going to be longer than expected also.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you have the luxury, uh, or at least for now, of, you know, playing it as safely as possible. So, um, you know, that's an oblique, you know, that doesn't quite scare me as long-term as a shoulder might with Severino. You know, especially when your concerns are very legitimate about your rotation breaking down. I just feel like you're going to find offense one way or the other, you know, between now and then. Um,
0: and-,
4: yeah. and the oblique, you're right. It's not a, it's not a long term injury where you'll see guys, you know, they'll strain their oblique and then you'll see them, you know, uh, aggravate it down the line. But the problem with the oblique is that it just seems like such a long recovery. And then these guys have setbacks. So that's been concerning, but you know, it, I, he's got to come back as a Yankee fan. You don't even want to admit that. Uh, he's not going to be back within the next, you know, month and a half or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, but uh, yeah, it's a tough situation, you know. If we lost one of our key guys like that, that's the frustrating thing. Is we're not really injured for the most part. You know, Evoldi's out and Price missed time, but but you know, for the most part, oh. w- you know, we're just we're underachieving, and that's that's so frustrating when you guys are oh. overachieving big time.
4: Yeah, I have to ask you because you remind me a lot of us over here in the Red Sox world where you're being very realistic as far as expectation and evaluating (laughs) uh, the team. I have to ask because we had a whole show tonight where we talked about the possibility of, you know, I think it's very unlikely, but you never know that that the Yankees sweep the Red Sox or even even take three and, you know, they're t- they they are leave the Red Sox 10 games back, my co-host said immediately that that would, that would be too much to overcome. And I said, you know what? In any other season, I might say you're right, but I like to give extra respect, obviously, to the reigning champs, no matter how they're playing right now. I, I would never put them out this early in the season. I don't care how many games behind. But I have to ask you, I mean, what's going through your head right now as, as someone so close to this team and, and a fan of the team
1: well I mean it's it's a really complex situation and it, it kind of revolves around our payroll right now I mean we're pretty well handcuffed with a lot of contracts I mean we won't go make a move on I, I mean we w- we stayed away from Kelvin Herrera who may who got a nine million dollar a year deal for 2 years like that was too much because we're that close to the third luxury tax threshold and they don't want to go over that and Mookie Betts his arbitration jumped up to um, 20 million uh, this season which you know is deserved but it's you know it's not cheap Porcello's making around 20 million uh, sale is you know with his extension and the average annual value Somewhere around 25 million. Price, 30 something million. JD is, his AAV is somewhere around 23. So we have a lot of huge contracts and uh, we're still paying Sandoval, by the way, as well, 20 million. That will come up this year, (laughs) mercifully. But um, we're just really handcuffed right now and will gain a little bit of flexibility uh you know when the season ends but um and Bogarts as well uh, got a got a new extension um so that that's frustrating and it's you know I don't expect the Red Sox to make an impact move at the deadline we got a Voldy last year who didn't really do much for us in the regular season
4: was and he was a force was in a, October.
1: Was a god, in
4: the you know. Do, in, do you think you went series without that without that pickup? I'm sorry. Do you think you win the World Series without without snagging him?
1: Oh, it's tough. I mean, I mean, he pitched well against you guys. He treaded water against the Astros. It, I don't. I don't think so. To be honest with you, and you you have to. You have to include his uh, relief appearances as well, because Cora had that systematic strategy. Yeah, where they instead of throwing a side session, he was just going to pitch them, you know, in an inning. So, you know, if you take the the entire totality of of what um, he gave us, you know, as a starter and a reliever, no, absolutely not, and. You know, but I'll also tell you he only pitches well. He only dominates launch angle type teams. You know, and he he keeps the ball kind of up in the zone, and you know he can, you know, he's up around a hundred all the time. And I think we saw one hundred and one, hundred and two at at various points in October, and you know, so I I wasn't I'm not I wasn't a big fan of the fact that we signed him to a four year deal when he's really at best a five inning pitcher against good contact hitting teams, you know, the Clevelands, the Houstons, the Tampa Bays, and and so on and so forth. But he matches up well against the Yankees. He matched up very well against the Dodgers and and you know, kinda hung tough against the Astros. But we don't win it. But that is kind of you know, that's another big contract on our books. So you know All of our additions throughout the year are going to be throughout the, uh, you know, are basically minor league guys that are about to be major league ready. I I was kind of griping how I don't think Cora handled Travis Lakens too well. I I don't think he should have been put in high leverage type situations, the the couple of call-ups he's had. Our other top relief prospect has got like a high six ERA right now in double-A, uh, that's Durbin Feltman, and he was expected to be fast-tracked to the majors because he pitched four years of college, so he's pretty well-seasoned, but still, you know, slow out of the gates, and y- you've seen Chavis, so that's working out well, and-, and especially the fact that he's suddenly able to play second base because I think he only got maybe a half a dozen starts. But but I just feel like, you know, we have some holes, and we're not firing on all cylinders, you know the the rotation will be fine for a little while, but then the bullpen won't, or you know the bullpen's fine, but the bats get cold, and it's just not it's just not the 2018 team. You you got to remember going into last postseason, we got swept against Cleveland in 2016, which was really embarrassing, and you know because they were injured and we're using spot starters, and Bauer hadn't really you know evolved yet into the ace that he is and and then 2017 the Astros you know took 3 out of 4 against us and sent us home and we were hungry and and that's why that's why we did so well but we came into 2019 like we just left the chinese buffet and we're full and you know yeah but
4: it's not an excuse because if you're a fan of a team no ma it doesn't matter if they win twenty World Series in a row, when that twenty first season comes comes around, you want nothing less than a than a championship because why else would you even watch or bother? So I'm not saying it's an excuse, but I'll say this, as far as you know, being handcuffed right now or you know how things are handled, I gotta say I'm a firm believer that, you know, yeah, maybe the Evaldi contract was was not the smartest as far as Years and money, especially a guy with a history of elbow issues. Um, but you know what? They won a World Series. And if you can do that within the time you're handcuffed and get out of it and start fresh, you know, you got that World Series. And, and that's why everyone, everyone was always flipping out about the Alex Rodriguez contract and all the stupid contracts the Yankees signed, even though now... They want to call ownership cheap because we always need something to complain about in the Yankee world. Um, But, you know, back then it was, why would we sign these stupid contracts? But you know what, if they didn't win that world series in 2009, it would have been a, a complete mess because all it did was handcuff this team to a bunch of guys who were getting older by the minute and producing less each and every game. And it left us to 2016 where, It was honestly, it was the weirdest feeling in the world as, as a 30 year old Yankee fan who has really only experienced a franchise that a, when I was a kid just kept winning championships, but B if they weren't, you know, even if they, you know, weren't playing the best or even if they didn't win a world series every single year they put a competitive team out on the field. So to see in 2016, I woke up to my friend. We were we we're actually uh, going to one of the big horse races around here. I don't go to them, but he always dragged me to it, and it's always a good time. But we woke up, and I, I woke up to him screaming. He's not even a Yankee fan, that the headline, this the scroll text was Andrew Miller traded. And it was almost like my heart sunk. Like I didn't know... What the hell was going on? Because I I was never ready to experience the Yankees being sellers. And once it all kind of passed, it was the most refreshing thing in the entire world. It was like a weight was lifted that we didn't have to, that we could start over. We could pick up some newer guys. Um, and it's, I mean, the next, even that year, they started to play well once they called up some of these young guys like judge sanchez you know uh tyler austin was one of those guys too but now i mean you look back and you say thank god they they did it and and thank god they won that world series in 2009 or else it would have been a long what i mean before that 2000 right i yeah. mean they were in it you know three but we're talking almost twenty years that would have been without a without a World Series.
1: And this, if you don't go this year, this will be the first decade since nineteen ten, and
4: probably the teams. I, actually, I tweeted it um, before the season started that in the in the history of the franchise, when they became the New York Yankees, they actually have not missed. They've they've gone a decade without winning a World Series they have not they have not gone a decade without winning a pennant at the least so this would be the first decade that they if they fall short of the World Series that they that they hadn't appeared in one World Series game for 10 years
1: right yeah and so getting back to you guys here um what do you expect you know as the july 31st deadline does come up i mean starting pitching i would think would have to be your highest priority if you're not feeling like severino's going to you know be a factor
4: i think i think either way you're going to see a big move made um starting pitching wise i think i think position player wise you might see them pick up um another bat along the way. Uh, no one, no one that's gonna, you know, shock the world, but maybe just another piece, uh, to add as a little depth because you just, again, you just don't know even when these guys come back, if they're going to stay healthy. But as far as the pitchers go, we have this debate. I feel like for three weeks now and I try and explain myself as best as I can, but sometimes i let the, my emotions get the best of me on the show. Um, I, if they're going to go out and get anyone, of course, if Madison Bumgarner is available, I want him over anyone else. And no, I don't know what kind of a playoff pitcher he is anymore. No one does. He hasn't been in in a few years. But I mean, the guy's proven he is arguably one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. I don't need him for the regular season. He could throw to a six ERA in the regular season. I don't care. I need someone who I'm confident can take me through October. And Tanaka has proven to be one of those guys for the Yankees, no matter what kind of a season he has. Um, he's just constantly going out there and, and dominant. But I need someone else because I don't know if Severino's coming back. And if I can pair Mad- Madison Bumgarner with Tanaka and James Paxton – and then have guys like Jay hap who I don't think you're... If if everything falls into place, you're really not going to see Jay hap in any postseason games or at least not in any big innings. Um, but, you know, you pair that depth with those big three starters and the bullpen. It's it's just... I mean, I, I would be shocked if they didn't at least win a pennant at that point. So I, I think... I think that Madison Bumgarner would be the best pickup, but I don't think the Yankees are going to pull it off. I think the Yankees, for some reason, I have this weird feeling that Dallas Keuchel is going to end up being a New York Yankee, um, and Madison Bumgarner is going to go to some team where he might sign an extension, he might not, but the San Francisco Giants are going to get an obnoxious amount for a rental.
1: Yeah, you know... I just feel like the trade market isn't quite as robust as it as it used to be, and I mean the Dodgers got some nice prospects for um, Machado, but it wasn't like a Chris Sale type deal, you know, where they gave up their top hitting prospect and top right. pitching prospect. So I mean, I you know I don't know. I mean, it's better for baseball for for those type of deals to come back, but. Um, I was going to ask you about Keiko and he is expected to sign uh, at some point next week. And Scott Boris is his agent, and I guess they're willing to take a one-year deal. Um, you know, they're just waiting for the the June eighteen million, yeah, the June second deadline to pass. That way, a draft pick won't have to be uh, forfeited uh, in the transaction. Um, do you have any concerns though? Cause I just feel like he would be at least a month away from really being able to give you anything, you know, with no spring training. And I, we used Kimbrel in, in the earlier example in the show, but I just, it just seems like a long shot. If I were a Sox fan, I, w- I wouldn't, Keiko wouldn't be my first choice if I was looking to, Add and yeah, he's an off-speed guy, so he's got to be able to command that stuff. It's just—I don't know.
4: Yeah, and you know what? That's why he's—that's why he's not my first choice. It, obviously, I mean, I think you'd be foolish to say you'd want him over Madison Bumgarner. Um, but I just think he makes a little bit more sense because, yes, I Madison Bumgarner has earned the respect of no matter how long it's been, that he can still go out there and do it. But I had the same argument about Keuchel. First of all, Madison Bumgarner has only not pitched in the postseason since 16, but he's been hurt on and off where I know they've been freak injuries, but he's missed a lot of time. And just as as much as I don't know what Dallas Keuchel is going to give me, being realistic and not just in theory of some dominant postseason pitcher you know in the past in madison Bumgarner. reality is none of us know what either of them are capable of in the spotlight anymore and if that's the case then i would rather take the guy who i'm gonna sign for one year 18 million when i really like i just said you know they got packed you got tanaka who i'm more confident than anyone in the postseason given his given his uh you know, last few years. And you pair that up with a guy like Dallas Keuchel, who really everyone talks about him like he's some bum now. But if you go back and look at the numbers, they're really not terrible. I think he got, I think he got eaten up in, in Houston because they acquired guys like Verlander, who is out of this world again. And, you, you know, uh, Garrett Cole, and you had McCullers pitching well. Um, you just, he kind of got lost. Because he had an off year um, where he threw to a 3-7-4 ERA, and he wasn't the same dominant pitcher. I think his velocity had dropped off. But I'm going to take that guy who I can get for one year and just money as opposed to a guy like Madison Bumgarner who... And again, I'm speaking as, as the Yankee organization here, not me personally. But this is just how I feel they're thinking where... I've seen teams more now than ever over the last few years really spite the Yankees. And it sounds like I'm being a spoiled brat Yankee fan, but I, I try my best to kind of take the Yankee head off when I'm, when I'm analyzing everything here. And I've seen so many teams because of the young guys and the young talent, the Yankees have had, and they're the New York Yankees. I've seen so many teams pass up on deals that were better than what they eventually took for some big name guys because you know the Yankees wouldn't give up Anduhar or the Yankees wouldn't give up Glaver Torres. But the guys they were offering were still better than what they got from the other team. I don't know if the Giants would would take it that down that road, but I can definitely see it happening where Brian Cashman has kind of gotten to the point where he's not he's not going to play games anymore. If you're gonna if you're gonna BS, you saw it with Machado they took the guy out to dinner. They gave him a tour. They gave him this, and it was just kind of like, you know what? I, if this is going to be some long drawn out drama, I'm done. I'm going to go out and get myself a DJ Lemayhew. I'm going to go out and and pick up uh, uh, Troy Tulowitzki who you know everyone ripped him for. But I mean, the guy gave what's five hundred uh, what's five hundred thousand to to the New York Yankees. It was a it was a, a low risk, high reward uh, signing that. Our starting shortstops hurt. Why not pick pick up Troy Tulowitzki and see if he can stay healthy? That's the kind of mentality that this organization has right now, and I don't think they're going to be willing to play the games with Bumgarner. I, I just don't, and I think that's what it's going to be. I think the Giants would be foolish to not get the most that they possibly can. And who's the most on the Yankees? I mean, you're, you're starting, in my opinion, at Clint Frazier, who I don't think the Yankees would have too much trouble parting ways with, given his defense. Um, But then you're going down the line. I mean, you're talking to Strada. They might go after a a pitching prospect. I don't know. I just, I would rather, if I'm, again, realistically, if I'm up in the air and don't know which either guy is going to give me, I'm just going to take the guy I'm going to pay money to and, and be done with it. Because I think Dallas Keuchel can make a big impact on this team. I really do.
1: Well, his numbers aren't very good at, at Yankee Stadium, from what I've heard. Um, or maybe that's Fenway. I could I might might have misspoke on that, but. Um, Unless- I don't know. I just know in fifteen when I was there, that was he made my life.
4: Well, yeah, wild card.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and Tanaka was the opposing guy, and I agree with you fully. And no, no Yankees pitcher owns the Red Sox more than Tanaka does. But um, I agree with you on on the value aspect of things. Like I would take DJ LeMahieu over Manny Machado. Hundred times out of a hundred, I just think a three hundred million dollar contract isn't isn't very good value. And I, I I don't know if you've seen any of my Twitter tirades, but I'm not a proponent of bringing back Mookie Betts. You know, I just right. we're already handcuffed, and I just you could get so much for thirty five to forty million a year. You know, you could get a top closer, you can get you know, a solid, you know, utility guy and a mid level starter or something like that for the same money. You know, because if you go and unload for you know a Mookie Betts type guy and you guys will have to face that with Aaron Judge eventually, once you unload for them, you still have to get those other guys anyway. And I just think LeMayhew brings very good value. And here's an example you're probably not gonna like, but I would have, I, I, every, I don't pray to God or anything, <laughs> but I just thank my lucky stars that the Red Sox went the J.D. Martinez route, you know, for $110 million than you guys did with Stanton for, and Stanton's contract, I mean, he had a no trade anyway, so that was more complicated than I made it sound, but... But, you know, even if Stanton was willing to come to the Red Sox, I, I would have wanted Martinez because it's just better value. And I'm trying to think of other examples, um, but, you know, I just, I I can appreciate some of the moves you guys have made for sure. And, um, you know, Luke Voigt, I, you know, I was pretty high on him coming into the year. I know there was a lot of people still on the, the Greg bird wagon. And I think having a guy like Voight also helps you stay away from, you know, a Machado contract as well, you know, and you guys struck gold on that trade. I mean, not, not, that doesn't happen every season. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah,
4: the, the Paxton trade or go ahead. No, I was. I was just going to say it. I mean, yeah, you're right. The Paxson trade was a big one. It was a shocker, to be honest. Uh, no one was really expecting it. But I think what a lot of fans fail to do, and again, I don't blame the fans because sometimes passion just kind of takes over everything else. And I'm cool with that once in a while. As you know, Yankee fans, I'm telling you right now, can get extremely frustrating to deal with. Um, but I'm okay with the – the as long as you're showing a little passion and you know what you're talking about, I'm cool with it. But I think a lot of fans fail to just really take a step back and, and you know, everyone was flipping out when they signed DJ LeMayhew because it meant the end of Manny Machado. And in the same breath, two weeks earlier, they're saying that this team – is two hit or miss with the home runs and they strike out. I'm not saying Manny Machado is a all or bust player where you know he only hits home runs and that's it he's the guy's almost always batting 300 or, or over by the end of the year but he's still a, a big time superstar with a big time ego with a big time salary that you're bringing in here for I don't care who gets him it's going to be him being overpaid. And you know that before any contract was signed. You knew it, that he was going to make an, a, an obnoxious amount of money. So would you rather take that guy who you never know bringing a guy into New York, how he's going to pan out, would you rather take him or would you rather take the multi-gold glove winning DJ Lemayhu, who barely strikes out, always puts the ball in the play, and is versatile around the infield? It, it, imagine, just imagine, if the Yankees didn't have him right now, they honestly they they wouldn't be nearly as good as they have been.
1: No, I I I love that trade and uh, or that signing rather. Um, and I laughed when um, Yankee fans were Yankee saying fans he, were saying he would be like a you know a bench guy or a utility guy, not necessarily an everyday guy. I'm like, the dude won a batting title two years ago. You know, I mean. He's an everyday guy and go back to, I'm not trying to gloat here, but I mean, it's the easiest example coming into the 2013 season when, when the Red Sox, you know, went on that run, nobody was really thrilled with Napoli, Victorino and Uehara, you know, I mean, those weren't really sexy moves. They were nice complimentary moves, but they weren't impact moves. And they paid off, and you're you're seeing that right now with Lemayhew and and you know Voit, even though he's kind of a you know just breaking through. But those those are the value moves that that help you win a World Series. Look at the Astros. I mean, why the hell did the rest of the league let them get Michael Brantley on a two year deal? You know, why did the Phillies think that McCutcheon on three years was smarter than that? You know, like, the Astros are a team that understand value more than anyone, I feel like. And they when they got Verlander, who's my favorite non-Red Sox player of all time, by the way, um, you know, they got him basically on Rick Porcello money because Detroit had to eat part of it. And you know, the Garrett Cole deal, they didn't they didn't really get hurt there. And that's a that's an organization that really gets it. And they're a perennial one hundred plus win team now. You know, they don't have the hangovers that we
4: have and and they scare me more than they did a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I my organization isn't that smart. I didn't even like the sale deal, to be honest with you he he was going to play this year on his option anyway and he falls off a cliff every august so why not at least use this option year to see if he can finally give you six full months and they didn't do it and he's coming off one of the worst injuries of his career and without even watching him pitch in a major league game which didn't go very well by the way you know with that Seattle start and the next several starts after that they gave him a six-year deal, and he could he could be Felix Hernandez in a couple of years. You know, it was just insanely I, reckless.
4: I, I thought you were. Did you say you didn't like the trade for him, or that you didn't like the deal that they just signed? Oh,
1: I, yeah, I might have botched it. the The new contract, the trade. I mean, I was kind of skeptical about the trade, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't super gung ho, but I got it, and you know, and it it worked out. You know, but, um, you know, but the, the new contract
4: that he signed is what I, what I didn't like. Uh, I agree. And here's, here's why I feel, and this is going to take me into the next thing I just wanted to bring up. I feel that the Red Sox made a mistake with him, not, not because they signed him, but because of the amount of years. And like you said, the history of him just constantly falling off, um, you know, and this year having some issues injury wise. But more more than that, we've seen the free agency market almost disappear. Not one player, I don't care how good they are anymore, not one guy wants to touch free agency anymore. Not one. Because if you're not a superstar, even sometimes when you are a superstar but when you're if you're not a superstar and you hit free agency, you almost slip through the cracks. Like how how are some guys just not playing anymore? Some guys who were very serviceable baseball players for a, for a decent amount of years just disappear. No one wants to touch free agency anymore. And I feel like the Red Sox could have leveraged that a little better with Chris Sale to where Either they could have gotten him for a little bit less money, or maybe a, a couple of years less with some type of an option, um, but they gave him six guaranteed years.
1: Yeah, and well, actually, uh, f- I think it's five years. Yeah, six overall. They restructured this year into the contract to get the uh, the average annual value down a little bit, but. It is a six-year deal, yeah, through his age 36 season. And, yeah, it was terrible. And the reason why it happened was because they're still haunted by the Lester situation and how poorly that got handled and how they got eviscerated through the media. And I'm sure when the Cubs won the World Series and John Lester was a part of it, that was kind of a snub. And Epstein, by the way, was the GM. Uh, You know, So it was kind of an optics thing. They were kind of afraid not to do something, but they still could have been a lot smarter. If he would have pitched six full months and been a top five Cy Young guy by the end of the year, I I don't think anybody would have complained if they overpaid for him a little bit, but I fully expect him to basically kind of fall off that cliff again, especially with him being so slider-heavy. You know that's not good for his arm, and uh, you know I just I'm trying to be optimistic and just go year by year, but I can totally see him being like uh, you know a King Felix or Johan Santana, you know, who had shoulder problems that ultimately ended his career fairly that
4: young. It happen. He's just he's just first of all he's such like a lanky guy yeah. who goes out there flings it throws a lot of innings which is I think I mean I don't I haven't followed his starts too closely just because I know he was struggling so any numbers I see are going to be skewed but I'd have to imagine even when he picks up the pace throughout the summer where he's really in his groove that the Red Sox really have to focus on on nurturing this guy a little more and and watching his innings a little better because He's nothing to them if, if he's going to continue to fall off towards the end of the season.
1: Yeah, and, you know, they they kind of tailored a, a program in the spring training before last, you know, to try to help give him, you know, a little bit more longevity throughout the season. And when the season did start, he didn't come out throwing absolute gas. Absolute gas. You know, so, and then by the time mid-July came, he was on the DL and, you know, stayed on it till, well, he he pitched one start in late July, actually, but then went right back on it and was basically used as an opener, you know, in the last half of uh, September, and uh, then he, you know, he, he had some lengthier starts in October. You know, with the exception of the uh, one Dodger start he had, which I think was only four innings, but um, I just think it was a reckless move, and they they could have been a little smarter with it, and um,
4: you know. But we'll you know, just... I there's a point of me. There's a point of me that gets it, but at the end of the day, uh, look, if he came here, won you the World Series, you know, and just proved to just continue to be his dominant self, I'd say it's a no-brainer, you know? Bring him back, regardless of if you're handcuffed or not. Just bring him back at that point. The guy on your ring, he's still a great pitcher. But the fact that he just hasn't done that really, and not in a sense of performance as much as it is just kind of making you panic a little bit about wondering when... When it is that he's going to just completely break down because it is concerning that he falls apart at the end of the year because it shows me that his arm tires and his arm tires because of all the miles he's put on it throughout his career is and he's young now i mean how old is he he's 30 31
1: he might turn 31 at some point this year but but his mechanics are just bad you know that's not it's not healthy to throw the ball the way he does and and he hasn't been dominant for a full season since 2015 so i mean there couldn't have been more red flags than than what there were and I mean, it's also painful. Like I said, we're still paying off the Sandoval deal. The Hanley Ramirez contract was kind of painful. Um, you know, it, it's just, you know, I just want to get out of the. I want to be more like the Astros and some of these smarter teams. The Dodgers are, you know, one of those teams as well. I mean, they. They make a lot of really good moves, and and they can develop their, their young talent really well. And, you know, they're a perennial first-place team. And granted, they don't have another, you know, big market team in, in their division, really, other than the Giants, who you know, but their front office has been terrible, you know, up until their uh, recent um, signing, you know, I forget his name, from the Dodgers. But they're going to blow it up this year and kind of you know, you know, build the team right. Indians
4: are going to blow it up too?
1: Yeah, well, they will to a degree, but I don't think they're quite looking at a full rebuild like say the Orioles or the Marlins. Yeah. You know, they call uh,
4: re what do they call it? Retooling, retooling, I think that or, or they, reimagining
1: is another fun one that they
4: keep getting. Reimagining, that sounds good, but. I think they're kind of like I think they were a little shocked that the twins are this good and they're they can they stayed this good yeah um, you know this long so I I've been hearing that they are uh, going to be giving up some pieces that you wouldn't expect them to you're probably right they're probably not going to completely break it down but uh, you might see a couple names go that you wouldn't expect from the beginning of the season out of them.
1: Yeah, you know, I try to keep their pitching staff, but it sounds like they're willing to deal both Kluber and Bauer. You know, Bieber looks like, you know, in another year or so, he's going to be a solid, you know, number two or number three by the looks of it, and maybe higher. I mean, who knows? Um, But, yeah, and then they got Carrasco under, you know, locked up for a while. He's got durability issues, but... But if I were the Indians, I would, i deal in door. I mean, he's going to give you the most prospects, you know, in return. And I, you know, Bauer could, you know, I mean, he's still fairly young. And I think Kluber could pitch into his, you know, I, he's 33, 34. But, I mean, you could get another at least two or three years out of him, you know, if not more. And, you know, so I, I don't know, but you know, they're they got a you know, good pulse on what they're trying to do. And, you know, you mentioned the the twins. I mean Barrios is finally kinda of having that breakout year. Um, Oterizzi as well and they, they had a lot of pretty good signings.
4: Oops, yeah.
1: Yeah. And their lineup, I mean they got Marwin Gonzalez pretty late on an absolute bargain. Um you know Nelson Cruz, he's might be injured, but that was uh, you know a good signing. And um, uh, I'm drawing blanks, but they they made some some sneaky good moves. And and I'm really I actually picked them to win the division. I, I had a hundred dollar bet with my co-host. He took the Indians, I took the Twins. And uh, <laughs> so I I kind of figured you know that this this could be the season for them. You know, given the fact that the rest of the division's so weak, but yeah, um, yeah. so I I mean, I guess we've covered a lot of uh, what we can cover, but um, so if the Red Sox win two, you're getting a new tattoo.
4: I'm getting a tattoo, and it's Ugh. probably not going to be uh, an attractive one. And, and how, how big? Not. Is there like a size limit? I'll probably cap it. Oh, I'll okay. probably cap it to like a uh, size of a fist. We'll go fistful. But nothing crazy, nothing that can be seen. Okay, Um, good. But but that being said, I think I'll get it anywhere and of almost anything. I'll say that. And you get to pick what it is? No, they're picking. I do get final say, but they get to throw the ideas at me. So,
1: like, what if it's, you know david ortiz i mean i mean i'm just i'm thinking worst case scenarios here
4: i'll go big poppy right on the ass it's fine
1: (laughs) oh man that's so bad you're so brave i'm not i can't i listen
4: just just so you know dallas keichel at yankee stadium three and two with a 2.45 era in 33 innings pitched and i don't believe that includes the postseason, but it might.
1: Okay. Well, I must have been talking about Fenway then. I knew it was one of these. Yeah. Uh, I
4: was actually just going to pull that up real quick. He's actually has one decision there. Um, but, yeah, he's 7.58 ERA at Fenway Park. <laughs> okay,
1: yeah. So, so we're not going to touch him with a 10-foot pole. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, but that that wouldn't be good for you, you know, if, uh, you know, ALDS rematch and he has to pitch at Fenway, because Severino doesn't pitch well at Fenway, and uh, yeah, so.
4: And that's And that's something, believe it or not, um, that the Yankees look really closely at, because a lot of their moves over the last couple of years, if you go, some of them might not have made sense to, to people who didn't look at this, but. A lot of the moves, as far as the pitchers go, over the last couple of years were guys that had career success against the Red Sox and against the Astros. And that is not a coincidence.
1: Well, you know who you should really get is uh, Edwin Encarnacion because that guy murders us at Fenway.
4: <laughs> Can we just get him for when we play when we play you at Fenway and then we'll release him and then maybe sign him again if, well, if his time in the rotation come up?
1: If Voigt goes down, and I'm not—I never wish that on him, you know. Just even with the rivalry, but uh, that's got to be
4: your move, you know. But oh, oh, you, oh! Sorry, I'm thinking. Uh, I thought you said someone else, Encarnacion. Let me tell you something. It, you said, who did you say? Edwin Encarnacion. Yeah. Oh, I would. I couldn't watch the team. I don't think anymore.
1: Really, you don't? I like couldn't
4: him? do it. I don't know why, because as bad as he killed you, he probably killed us ten times more. And I can't stand the friggin' uh, parrot running around the bases.
1: That is kind of weird, yeah. I'll give you that. I just, I wouldn't mind. We were offered him for Jackie Bradley Jr. straight up, and we didn't take it. <laughs> I he was fits the Red Sox profile,
4: though. I was pissed. Like, he fits into the Red Sox clubhouse. Yeah. So I could Looking at him I'm telling you right now Yeah
1: Well he's in Seattle now And you know That's you know purgatory As far as MLB goes Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alright why don't you uh, before we wrap here Just uh, one more time tell everyone Where they can
4: find you, if you Find us uh, First of all you can go to right to talk.com we, uh, we have a podcast page where we post Our video and, and audio Find us on iTunes, uh Stitcher Radio, Soundcloud uh not SoundCloud, Jesus. Stitcher Radio, iHeart Radio, um, really all over any anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um and again our YouTube channel, NYYST, just type that in, we'll pop right up. Um really if you're looking to kinda of stay close to any Yankee news, uh, I would I would suggest our podcast genuinely. Um I think I think you'd enjoy it. So I appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure having you. And uh, you know, if you want a you know a crazy Red Sox guest or whatever, you know, hit me up. I'm usually up for it.
4: When you came on the show, we actually had technical difficulties, so your episode was just our interview, which we've never done before. But the our audio for the interview came out fine. It was the only episode that ever happened that ever happened to us too so i'll lift the ban and <laughs> i would love to have you back maybe maybe we'll have you on next series when they when they match up and we'll do a little preview
1: yeah absolutely all right all right well thanks very much and uh, i encourage everyone to uh seek you out. i uh i listen to all kinds of podcasts randomly you know so i can only take so much red Sox, and you know so oh,
4: well if if the Red Sox uh, win two games minimum this weekend. You can look forward to our show, and uh, and what tattoo I'm getting on what part of my body.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll retweet it too. I'm sure the picture is <laughs> going to surface at some
4: point.
1: Oh, uh, I ought to like look up your co-host real quick, and you know, give them some evil
4: ideas. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You really should. <laughs> just keep- Cause it's it's on me at this point for being so stupid.
1: Yeah, well, like I said, you're brave, braver than me. But I, realistically, I mean, you got you got the price win that's in the bag. So you gotta, if the Red Sox bullpen sucks, I, I've been watching you guys steal games in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings recently, and your chances probably aren't aren't too bad, but.
4: I didn't Um, know the Red Sox had a bullpen. They do. (laughs) Well, they call it that. (sighs) That's what me off the most as a Red Sox fan. I'll tell you that right now.
1: Yeah, I know. It was so bad.
4: We didn't. This was
1: the deepest market of any free agent, you know, relief pitchers I've ever seen, and we didn't. We laid there like dead fish and didn't didn't sign anybody.
4: But, But you know what? It's always it's always a fun weekend when uh, the Yankees and Red Sox match up for yeah. four.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, have a good night, Chris, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. And thanks again. I think I cut him off there in the end. Um, kind of uh, just a, a fresh look at uh, the Yankee side of things. Like I said, typically we do have Chris Saunders on, but uh, yeah, yeah, Hopefully they win it, well, for his sake, you know, three out of four. But I'm hoping we sweep. So uh, have a good night, everyone. This might be one of the longest episodes ever. Oh, my God. Two and a half hours. Holy shit. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to bed. Have a good night. And uh, what's tomorrow? Thursday. Have a good rest of your work week, weekend. You know, be safe. Take care.
0: That's where I long to be I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation It's a kind of insane Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for return.